Welcome to Fright Night. Popheads and welcome to the spooky Halloween episode of the Tomcast Popcast. This is episode 121. We're coming to you from the garlic clove covered confines of the Tom Cave. My name is Tom, and thank you so much for listening to this quality independent podcast. Make sure you're following us on the social media at Tomcast Popcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show if you'd like to write a uh, a Vin- evil, vindictive, scathing email to me. Do so at tomcastpopcast at gmail.com and if you use enough adjectives, I'll probably read it on the show. Finally, if you'd like to become an official financial backer of the show, what we call an official member of Pophead Nation, you can do so Excuse me, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash tomcastpopcast where you can get access to all kinds of super cool bonus content. We're talking video featurettes, we're talking audio commentary tracks, all kinds of good stuff, a little extra bang for your buck whenever whenever you want to find it. It's there for you. So do so again at patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast. Thank you to my current Patreons. Thank you to the Aspen Hill Chody, the Batman of Bay Park, Jeff Nail. He's co-host of The Ringing Ear, a great music podcast that I recommend highly. Thanks to Evil Circle, the evilest of all the evil circles, especially here in Halloween in October where everything's spooky and scary. Squidmaster General Brian Broussard. Thank you to you, sir. And the New Jersey Devil himself, Mark Wegemer. We'll be hearing more from Mark uh, just a little bit, actually. Uh, Finally, make sure you are subscribed to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, all your favorite podcasting platforms. And if we're not on one of your favorite platforms, uh, let me know. I'll make sure that we get on there. And if you have the chance and you're doing this through Apple, those five-star reviews are insanely helpful for getting the word out about the good, fun time that we're having here on the TomCast Podcast and growing the audience for Pophead Nation. All right. So, like I said before, it's Halloween, and uh, uh, we we embrace the Halloween here on the Tomcast Popcast. And and in order to, to continue to embrace it, we're going to talk about more movies. Uh, this year, we we, we kind of paying a little extra special attention to some of the more fun, light-hearted fare that you can watch this time of year. You know, we we kicked off the month doing Army of Darkness. Then we uh, we just released our Beetlejuice episode, which I thought was a lot of fun and a good time. Because Beetlejuice is a damn good time to watch. It, it's even in when it's not Halloween, you can watch Beetlejuice. I mean, that's kind of the joy of it. Same with Army of Darkness, really. And again, that's the nice part about about all these movies we're gonna talk about this month. Like they're not specific to Halloween in particular. Like you can watch these whenever you want and get something good out of them. That's kind of like the nice part about what we're doing here this month. Sure, we're featuring them for the Halloween episodes, but you can watch these year round. They're that kind of movie. It's a good time. And uh, tonight we have something for you a little different, a little unique for the TomCast podcast. And that is uh, we're basically doing like a double feature. What? A double feature? Yeah, that's right. It's sort of a Fright Night versus Fright Night. We're taking the 1985 classic and we're talking about the 2011 remake. 
And I'll, listen, I'll put it right here on Front Street. Uh, you know, if you listen to the show since the beginning, I'm sure I've said it on multiple occasions. Not a big remake fan. I generally think most of them are a complete waste of time. Uh, but in this case, we have something unique with, with uh, the 2011 Fright Night. A remake that actually uh, uh, brought a few interesting things to the table. And, and we're going to kind of talk about that and, and kind of get into that. Because uh, these are two movies that I think play well, uh, especially with each other. You know, the original classic from 1985 with uh, with Roddy McDowell as, as Peter Vincent, and then you have the 2011 version with David Tennant as Peter Vincent. It's uh, it's a good time. Let's kind of get into the specifics real quick before we get into the conversation. But let's talk about that 1985 Fright Night cast. You know, it's starring Chris Sarandon, Williams Ragsdale as Charlie Brewster, uh, Amanda Burse. Again, I mentioned Roddy McDowell. Those are kind of like your main characters right there. Uh, the first Fright Night, written and directed by Tom Holland, but not that Tom Holland. And and, and uh, Tom Holland gets a lot of the credit for, for wanting to blend sort of like the horror and, uh, and and comedy genres together to kind of make a scary but funny movie at the same time. And again, we'll talk about it with Mark, uh, but I think, he, uh, I think he succeeds pretty darn well. The 2011 Fright Night is uh, directed by Craig Gillespie. Uh, Tom Holland gets a story by credit, but Marty Noxon does most of the screenplay. And if, if Marty Na- Marty Noxon's name uh, sounds familiar to you, it's probably because, like you, like me, grew up watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, Marty was a big part of, of writing episodes of, of uh, Buffy's adventures. So she has some, uh, some uh, bona fides in the vampire realm. This movie, the 2011, uh, is starring Anton Yelchin, Colin Farrell, Tony Collette, Again, we mentioned David Tennant, and then uh, Imogen Poots, and Christopher Mintz-Plasse, a.k.a. McLovin himself, as Ed. Also, a small part from Dave Franco, for any of you Dave Franco-files out there. Uh, again, these are two movies that uh, they play well with each other. There are, no- are enough nods and winks at the classic in the 2011 that uh, a fan will appreciate those. And again, we're, t- we're going to talk about all of that today. The reason why I brought Mark on board, you know, Mark is is... My horror movie aficionado. He is uh, well versed in all of these films that we're talking about. He is, is uh, basically an expert at this stuff. Like this, these, this is his genre. And as a as a film student, as someone versed in the arts of the camera of the lens, uh, uh, he is the man to talk to about the about these about these topics. Not that you need a man to talk to about these things, but you know what I'm saying. Mark's the person I have access to, and he knows a lot of stuff. So we got him to come back and talk about Fright Night, and he was really excited too because uh, Mark's also the guy who got me to watch the remake of Fright Night because, again, like I said, I wasn't that interested initially. I don't like remakes. They bother me. Uh, but Mark, Mark convinced me. He's like, hey, man, this one's pretty darn good. I think you'll dig it. It, it you know, it kind of hits all the same notes that that first one does. And so I checked it out, and yeah, he was right. I was pretty darn impressed with it. So that's what we're doing today. Double feature, Fright Night double feature. Get ready. It's going to be a fun time as we talk about the greatest vampire name of all time, Jerry Dandridge, the name that strikes terror into the hearts of people around the world. Jerry Dandridge. <laughs> all right, so here we go. The main show is about to start. So now you get, now it's up to you guys, guys and gals out there in the audience to do that important thing that we have to do before every episode fully engages that's sit down, strap in, hold on to your butts, and then strap in again. Because it's Fright Night. For real. Look at you all grown up. Welcome to Fright Night. 
Hey, he's back via the Skypes in the Los Angeles area, my brother Mark. How are you today, sir? I'm good. How are you? Doing all right. Are you excited to talk about our, our Fright Night double feature today? Yes. <laughs> Brimming with enthusiasm. I hope so. I, I, I was trying to get that across. Yeah. Mark, are you, are, I know it's a little early, uh, but are you are you having a beverage today? I am. What do you got? I'm having a fest beer from the Institution Ale Company. Mm. I'm jealous. That sounds really good. Yeah, I've I'd never heard of them. Um, I saw them at the liquor store just around the corner i was looking for an oktoberfest beer and uh since i hadn't i'd never heard of them i'd never tried this so i decided to give it a go oh it's uh that's rather surprising to me that you hadn't heard of them before uh yeah they're up in camarillo they're right off the 101 uh and they have a lovely like brewery with a, like a little like a restaurant in there and they have like a game room and it, it's a fun place to go yeah i was looking at their at their website um, but yeah, I just never heard of them. <laughs> hey, fair enough. Uh, I'm drinking from, 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 from right here in San Diego. I'm drinking a pizza port, uh, the, the uh, today's forecast IPA. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I've had this on the, on the show in, in the, you know, in the recent past. Uh, I'm just really, really enjoying it. And I wanted something kind of sturdy and dependable today. It's a 7.2% with the mosaic, the cashmere and the Azaka hops. So that's going to keep us. Uh, keep this conversation lively as we dive into this double feature of Fright Night. Uh, so I think we'll focus first on the original, the OG Fright Night from 1985, written and directed by Tom Holland, but not that Tom Holland. And <laughs> Mark, can you sort of encapsulate the plot of this movie for us? Sure. Um... So the story follows Charlie Brewster, who is a teenager. He is a big fan of horror films. And he suspects his newly moved in neighbor, Jerry Dandridge. The greatest vampire being... name ever, by the way. What's that? The greatest vampire name ever, Gary Dan... Jerry Dandridge. Dan, yes. <laughs> Watch out with stat. Yes, he so he suspects Jerry of being a vampire and begins snooping on Jerry. Jerry doesn't like it very much. So Charlie has to enlist the aid of his friends and Peter Vincent, a washed up actor and television show host to help him fight the vampire, the vampire Jerry Dandridge. Yeah, I think that encapsulates it pretty darn well. Um, it's this is a, I mean, not not to go on too much of a, of a, of a uh, offshoot here, but uh, you know, vampires always play well in in movies. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of bad vampire movies, but as far as like a villain for a horror movie, a vampire is not a bad way to go. No, certainly not, and. Um... Tom Holland at the he he has said that at the time that that he wrote Fright Night his whole idea was to kind of bring vampires back to that because they had kind of disappeared from 
serious filmmaking. The vampire movies that came out were, like you said, like they were all bad. They were just kind of schlock. And so he he kind of wanted to to bring them back and pay homage to the classic vampire lore that that he grew up with. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the fun elements of this movie. You know, I in the introduction to the episode, I mentioned how you know Fright Night is sort of like this blend of of horror and scare, uh, but also you know lighthearted kind of comedy stuff too. It, it kind of makes it just really approachable and, and easy to digest. Right. Uh, one of the other elements that I liked about the film is, uh, and I, you know, I meant to look it up. Maybe you know offhand, but do you know where the movie's set? As far as I like, believe it is, oh, I believe it's in Iowa. Iowa, okay, yeah, it's an interesting yeah. uh, setting. Uh, I, I like the sort of exploration of of like the monster in the suburbs idea. Right, yeah, that's always been kind of interesting to me. I, I, they 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 take it to another level in the remake, but I sort of like the idea of like, oh yeah, not only is this monster in the suburbs, but he lives next to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's it's it, yeah, it's it's really fun. What would you say is uh, I guess how how would you talk about Charlie's character? Charlie Brewster is our is our hero in this piece. Uh, mm-hmm. How would you describe the character? I think he's just kind of a dopey innocent teenager. <laughs> I think that is and, a very and astute. <laughs> he and he just he just stumbles into this. He doesn't necessarily want any part of it, but he has to deal with it because, as he quickly learns uh, during the course of the film, the authorities and parental figures aren't going to do anything about it. So it's up to him. Yeah, uh, and and, and it, it's it's kind of fun, especially at the, at the beginning when they sort of are trying to play it. You know, because uh, because because Charlie is a friend, or uh, I'm sorry, a fan of the the Fright Night television series hosted by Peter Vincent. That the you know the 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 presumption of like his mother and the police is that he's just a kid with like an overactive imagination sort of thing. You know, right. And I I do I like that I like that aspect of it very much. Everyone thinks he's crazy, but he's you know he's seen what he's seen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's talk a little bit about. You know, his mother's sort of a one-note character in this, which is, I think, is is one of the one of the little improvements they make in the in the, in the remake. But uh, what about what about Ed and what about Amy? How would you just talk about them? All right. Well, starting with Ed. Ed is uh, very much um, he's kind of a goofball. He's the outcast. He's a um, you know he's he's a strange kid who has as kind of his defense mechanism has developed this somewhat obnoxious personality um outside of that you know they they don't go too much into the ed character right uh we just know that that he's friends with with charlie and it's you know it's kind of a a strange friendship in that um you know, Charlie obviously finds him to be a bit obnoxious, but there is a certain, a certain, I, I guess, love for each other there, friendship there. Um, yeah. I was, I was going to say, let, let me go back to Charlie for a quick second too, because like they do sort of have a strange relationship, uh, where Ed's kind of like, <sighs> he's more than happy to, to kind of like tease and poke fun at, at Charlie. Um, right. And Charlie is sort of a putz. 
<laughs> right? Yes. And uh, l- listen, we should also uh, say, if, if you haven't seen the first Fright Night, I mean, Charlie uh, dresses in a very interesting manner. You know, a lot of a lot of blazers and, and uh, you know, loafers that he wears on his for shoes, things of that nature. He dresses very strange for a 17-year-old. Eh, I don't know. I thought he looked all right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to say there's even like a sweater vest at one point, but I could be mistaken. There might have been, yeah. <laughs> All right, but let's talk about his girlfriend, Amy, because she does become uh, uh, pretty important. Yeah, um, I would I would say she's one of two characters with an actual arc in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, she is sort of the, the, the timid girlfriend who she very clearly likes Charlie, but Charlie is in his own world, and so he kind of brushes her off not not in any mean kind of way it's just that he he becomes kind of obsessed with with jerry yeah exactly uh so he doesn't he doesn't quite realize what what he's doing but but because she definitely cares about him um you know she keeps coming back and and supporting him and she kind of goes on this journey of kind of um I, i guess sort of exploring and becoming more comfortable with her own sexuality. And so in a way, just kind of coming more into womanhood. Yeah, exactly. And if, if you're watching the movie for the first time, you, you will definitely recognize uh, Amanda Bierce as, as, uh, as being unmarried with children. <laughs> Next door neighbor to Al Bundy. Marcy Darcy. That's right. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. All right, let's talk about uh, uh, let's talk about the, the the great Roddy McDowell in this movie. Uh, uh, Peter Vincent, yes, a, a mashup of of Peter Cushing and Vincent Price's names. And yes, you described Peter Vincent as, as sort of a washed up actor. Uh, I think my take's always been he, he was never a good actor. <laughs> He's just... well, no, I mean I mean washed up in the sense that his career is over. Okay. But... That doesn't mean he had much of a career to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I think he was always kind of like B level, maybe even C level actor to begin with. Right, and and Rodney McDowell has even said he was like, no, he was like he was a bad actor. He was a terrible actor. <laughs> so, so and, yeah, yeah. And this this podcast, we are we are big fans of uh, of Rodney McDowell uh, from from Planet of the Apes. Absolutely. From being the butler in Overboard. Come on, it, the list That's, is. <laughs> infinite with Roddy McDowell. We love Roddy McDowell on this show. Yeah, I, I forget about the butler on, <laughs> on Overboard. It's but... a small part, but he's hilarious. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so he's he's sort of this this uh, again. This, uh, I, I, we'll go with your word. Oh, this wash up actor, and and Charlie approaches him coming out of his TV studio after the Fright Night show has been canceled, and he's telling him all this crazy stuff that you know about his next door neighbor's a vampire and he needs Peter Vincent's help to to kill the vampire <laughs> and just like the Roddy's look of just kind of like sheer terror as this young man is explaining this to him is just hilarious i loved it yeah I, I actually he um he displays i think a lot of range in that scene because he kind of goes from being pompous thinking that charlie just wants his autograph to um sort of placating him about believing in vampires and then yeah to the absolute horror of this person is insane and i have to get away from him (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, eventually, uh, Charlie does convince Peter to, to come in and help and to meet with Jerry. Uh, and it, it's one of my favorite scenes when, when, when Peter Vincent is there and he's, you know, sort of half-heartedly trying to prove that Jerry's a vampire and he offers to have him uh, drink holy water. And then, you know, Jerry, Jerry de- de- declines and saying it's against his religious beliefs, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it seems like, you know, Jerry's kind of checked all the boxes that, that uh, Peter needs to know that, Jer- that that Charlie's crazy and that he should just uh-huh. get out of the situation immediately. But then the mirror. The mirror. The mirror. Yeah. I, I love how this movie reincorporates uh, so much of the great old vampire lore, like the not casting a reflection, which is what, mm-hmm. which is what gives Jerry away to uh, Peter Vincent at, at the end of the scene here. Uh, but right. also... Uh, one of the one of the big parts of the, of the movie is is uh, not being able to enter a house unless invited. Yeah, that's a very um, that's a very old traditional rule that most vampire movies, I think, kind of ignore. Yeah, I think it's been it's been uh, pretty dismissed uh, in in a lot of uh, more modern modern vampire pictures. Uh, but it's a big yeah. deal in this one, and it, it it does carry through to the remake as well as we'll talk about later. Uh, but it's so funny the, the the links that Charlie goes to to make sure that um, uh, Jerry never gets invited into his house, and then he comes home one day and his mom's already invited him in. <laughs> I mean, well, I think that was that was the thing. I, I didn't I didn't. Well, yeah, he, he goes through links to kind of like protect his house, or I, I think more important or more specifically, like just his own bedroom window. <laughs> um, but but other than that, he doesn't. Because there's the scene with Evil Ed where Evil Ed tells him, "Whatever you do, just don't make sure he's not invited into your house. Right, he's exactly. Like, you don't you don't have anything to worry about." And then the very next scene is him up in his room, kind of watching Jerry's house, not seeing anything happening, and his mom calls him down, and she's invited, and Jerry's there. Right. You know. Right, yeah. and you know it's it, uh, going back to the the, the fact the the inviting in. Uh, it, it's such a. I think it's one of the better tropes for for the vampire genre, uh, because, you know, home is always represented like safety, and right. and and you know you're supposed to be, feel safe and secure there. Uh, but then when you invite evil into your home once, evil can always come into your home, and it's it's just like this wonderful kind of uh, old world sort of uh, exploration of of safety and and evil and. Uh, inviting evil into your life, sort of sort of situation. Am I? I don't know if I'm encapsulating that correctly, but if you can say it better, by all means, do. No, I, th- I think you got it there at, at the end. <laughs> I stumbled to the finish line on that one. <laughs> yeah, sure. But hey, so long as you cross, that's all that matters, right? All right, let, let's talk about Jerry because I absolutely love Chris Sarandon and his portrayal of Jerry in this movie. He's great, and. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember when it was when I first saw Fright Night as a kid. It was always hard for me to take Chris Sarandon seriously because I had already seen The Princess Bride yeah, as Prince so, Humperdinck. <laughs> yeah, so to me, he was just Prince Humperdinck, and it has taken years of not watching Princess Bride and watching Fright Night for me to kind of come come over to 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 Chris Sarandon's side. In this film, um, but yeah, I think he's I, I think he's fantastic in this. Yeah, and it, it, his his menace really grows as the movie continues to play on, you know, because they 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 never really try to 
uh, trick the audience and be, oh, maybe maybe Charlie is crazy and and and, and, and Jerry's just a, a normal guy. They they never go that route. It's always like, yeah, we no. we, we know, we know, yeah. and and they kind of lean into that and and sort of the sort of game that Jerry is playing with Charlie. It it, it yeah. kind of leads to the fun of the movie. Like it fun, it's a little tension, but it's it's mostly just kind of. Uh, I don't want to say cat and mouse necessarily, but you know it's. I don't know, like <laughs> vampire and prey. I guess it's probably the more accurate way to describe it. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, the character of Jerry gives Charlie a chance to to back away. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, "Forget about me, and I'll forget about you." And uh, Charlie doesn't, to his credit, doesn't go along with that. And so, so yeah, the film, the film doesn't um, it. it it doesn't for once make you think that, oh, you know, maybe Charlie's just being crazy. Um, and, and that's, that's where I think the fun of it lies. Yeah, I agree. I think the movie treats, uh, the, the audience is kind of in on it from the beginning and that, that works to the movie's advantage, you know, because it's like us and, and Charlie, we're all in on this. We know that Jerry's a bad guy and they're not trying to do, like, do anything clever or misdirect us in any way. Right. Uh, we also, again, as as the movie progresses, the the uh, Jerry's menace grows, and uh, mm-hmm. eventually he will turn Ed against his friends. Yes, and he will. He will. Uh, what's the best way to? I guess turn him into a vampire is probably the best way to say it. Yeah, he does that. <laughs> but you also get the you also get another piece of vampire lore in in this with with Jerry and also with Ed. Uh, but the the shape shifting. Yeah. You know, because we Jerry can Jerry flies basically. So we're, I think we're assuming he's a bat, right? I think it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things about about the filmmaking itself that I really liked it is for because you never you never see him fly. Um, it always cuts to these shots from his perspective, and he's up high, whether it's on the roof of his own house or on a catwalk later in the film when he's stalking Ed and it's his perspective. You hear his footsteps on whatever surface he's walking on. And then there's like this swooping sound Mm -hmm. as the camera sort of floats through the air and then, and then kind of lands. So in that, in that moment, I don't know if he's a bat per se, if he's just kind of flying, but then like, yeah, later in the film, um, we do. He does actually turn into a bat. Right. So. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's. You know, they they don't go too much into sort of like the, the rules of. Of the shape shifting, so, it leaves something to the to the imagination. Yeah, and uh, we you know Ed Ed uh, Ed turns into a wolf and attacks Peter Vincent, in wolf yes. form. So yeah. you you get that that shape shifting part of the lore, uh, which is which is uh, I don't know yeah I don't I don't know if that's ever been like my favorite part of the vampire lore but I've always accepted it. I've always really liked it. Um, I like the the bat. I like the wolf. But I love the fact that he can also turn into fog, and in this movie he does. Yeah. You never you don't see it. You see him walk out or step out of the fog, but like you definitely get the impression that he is this fog following Ed through the alleyway. Right. Right. 
so yeah, so at this point the table's kind of set. Um, you know, Peter Vincent's been convinced he's going to help Charlie. Uh, but basically, like, hey, let, let's get into let's get into Fright Night. Let, let's get into into Jerry hunting them down. They 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 go into the city. I want to talk about the nightclub scene. That's really what I'm getting at. It's such a classic scene because, because to me this is when Chris Sarandon is at his most electric. Okay. I think he is captivating in the scene. He's yeah. got like this like '80s swagger about him as he as he works his way through this club. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got like kind of like the I don't want to call it like a, like a puffy shirt, but I mean it's very '80s. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it just had it was it was almost like a a loose fit kind of loose sweater with a low collar on it so you can just kind of see his clavicle mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. just giving him a little bit of that sex appeal so well and even even before the club scene i mean when when he when he's all like blazered up with his with his scarf i mean come on the scarf and that 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 pimping gray leather trench coat with the massive shoulder pads yeah we we haven't we haven't really talked about his manservant Billy, but uh, Billy will I think we'll bring Billy up in a little bit, but uh, okay. Like, like, like that that club scene is so great with with Amy and and Charlie running for their lives basically, and this is when this is when Amy gets captured or taken yes. I suppose by by uh, by Jerry as uh, he yes. uses his vampire hypnosis spells kind of, to kind of like you know <laughs> woo her I guess is the the best way. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the club, he he basically seduces her, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's it it's part of that journey that that she goes on, you know, because as we were saying, she's kind of the 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 timid girlfriend, and this is, and it's Jerry really that kind of like awakens that sort of sexuality in her, and it and it's in that scene that that happens. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and again, this is part of Jerry's plan. Uh, to to lure everyone back to to his house so he can he can kill them all and be done with it basically, yeah. You know he's gonna, he's gonna get everyone who's sort of in on who Jerry is together and he's gonna kill them all, right? And it's gonna be glorious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like I, I feel like I'm going fast here, but uh, if is there anything that I've I've skipped over that you have that we haven't gotten to yet that you want to talk about? Oh gosh. I mean, there's so much. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to pull apart in this in this picture. I mean, there's a. I mean, we kind of glossed over over the over the cops' interaction with 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 Jerry and and Charlie. But I mean, there's a lot you can get into the, on that. Great, great performance by Art Evans as Detective Lennox, also <laughs> also in Die Hard Two. Oh God, you're right. Yes, yes, I did. Yeah. Yes, I forgot about that. <laughs> um. I, I'm also going to throw out a shout out to Nick Savage as bouncer number one <laughs> in in the nightclub scene. Okay. He is probably best known for his role in Friday the 13th, part 3D. He is one of the bikers who steals gas from the protagonist in that movie, thus trapping them on Crystal Lake. <laughs> Nice. He made an appearance, and I was like, "Oh, I forgot he's in this." <laughs> oh man! So I, 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 again, we sort of fast forwarded a little bit, but I, I should also yeah. mention that there is a little bit of of yeah, even after see, seeing or not seeing the reflection of Jerry in his in his broken mirror, Peter Vincent is becomes aware 
that Jerry's a vampire, but there's still a little bit of a back and forth of if he's actually going to help Charlie or not. I, I, I sort of skip to the part where they just decide to help each other. Right. But Charlie has to go back to him a couple different times to, to get Peter to come aboard because Peter's scared. Uh, Peter's mm-hmm. an actor. He knows that everything he was in wasn't real. And now he's being uh, forced to kind of confront something that he always thought was just work for him, like made up nonsense that that just got him a paycheck and to be in the movies. Yeah. So I, um, I sort of like that exploration no. of, of, of Peter Vincent having to confront what he thinks is reality. Yeah. Um, it's it, it, uh, along with Amy, he, he's, he's the only other character in this film that I think has an actual character arc. And, and that is kind of the crux of it is like, he goes from being this kind of, you know, washed up actor or, or D list actor. Um, who thinks he has a, a grip on reality and he has to kind of become that fearless vampire killer that, that he portrayed, but he's terrified. Yeah. And, and I, I just, I sort of just love the whole uh, exploration of this, of this like kind of duality of the guy who pretended to be somebody killing something he thought was made up. <laughs> yeah. And he finds out that it's real and now he has to become the guy who was in those movies and he doesn't know if he can do it. I just sort of love that whole thing. And, and it, Roddy plays scared well. He does it well. Yeah. It's all over his face, almost every scene. Everything's, like, shocking to him. <laughs> and, you know, I think it, I think it's just, like, it, it's so fantastic. Um, and it, it, it's, it's, it's where the fun in that, that character, I think, comes from. And I, I just want to say that because, because I think that's kind of an important note for when we talk about the 2011 Fright Night. Mm-hmm. Um, that this character thinks he understands reality, and and that it's as you know, you and I see it. Vampires don't exist, and then he has to confront that uh, th- that they are real. Um, so, yeah, that... yeah. Uh, okay, so after the club, after Amy's been abducted, this is when when Charlie goes and. Peter Vincent finally agrees to help him, and they go to Jerry's house to try and get Amy back. This is where we get uh, crucifixes. Yes. Crucifixes, you know, but you got to have the faith. Yes. So uh, Charlie has the faith. Peter does not, <laughs> as, as, no. as we see as the movie plays out. This is also where we get uh, our first appearance of, of Ed in wolf form. Yes. Which is, again, this leads to some great stuff because uh, Charlie and and Peter become separated. Uh, Peter flees to Charlie's house, has to fight uh, Wolf Ed, or Ed Wolf. Right. I don't know what sounds better, Wolf Ed or Ed Wolf. We can just call him Ed. Okay, or just call him Ed. We'll go simple. Yeah. And then uh, Jerry takes Charlie and locks him in a room with Amy, who's being turned into a vampire. Yes. Now, I know know you've talked about, like, this sort of... uh, the, the, the transformation of Amy, uh, you know, sexual, sexually speaking and stuff like that. But th- this is sort of like watching all that happen in, in before Charlie's eyes, I suppose, which is even more interesting. Yeah. Um, no. So, uh, you know, he get he gets locked in there and it's kind of, um, it, it's, it's sort of a twist of what, what happens in like the first scene of the film or in the first scene of the movie, you know, we open on uh, Charlie trying to get Amy into bed, and, and she's resistant. And now we have 
the reversal of that, um, where she's been turned into this this sort of monster, and um, you know it's Charlie refusing refusing to be with her, really. Yeah, definitely, and it's 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 all it's again it's it plays it, it plays really really well. There's a lot of of subtext in there um, that's just you know, meat on the bone per se to kind of just like chew on and, and, and process. That's, it's really interesting stuff. Like you can watch this movie on the surface and be totally content, but you mm-hmm. know, you can really dive into some of the stuff that they're talking about here and, 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 and find, kind of unlock a whole other movie. Yeah, I, th- I, I think so. Dude, I, I think that, yeah, this movie is pretty loaded in terms of, of subtext. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, it's, it's very, the movie itself is very spare until you kind of start using your own imagination to kind of to kind of dive into things and and like you said there there's a lot going on beneath the surface so all right so the, yeah so eventually uh, peter is able to free charlie from the room and they have the conversation because because now that peter believes and everything's going on he's he's kind of like remembering all the lore from all the movies that he was in and he says, "Hey, listen. If we can get uh, get Jerry uh, killed by dawn, uh, you know, I think I think they said specifically they had to use the sun. It would reverse the the curse, and and they'd be able to save Amy, right?" I did he? I, I'm not 100. I don't necessarily remember that. I I remember just thinking that they were going off of the whole. If you kill the head vampire, then I think you're right. I think I made that last part up about the sun. I think is that they just have to kill Jerry before dawn. Before the Be, because yeah, because they do something similar to what you said in the 2011 version. Right, 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 right. But um, but yeah, I, like I, I think they were just going with that whole because again, that's kind of classic lore is that if you if you kill the vampire that turned you, then uh then you'll no longer be a vampire. And so I think that's what they were going for. Yeah. So, so they're just, go ahead. What? No, I was going to say, which, which is a rule I've always kind of thought about. Um, because it's like, well, if you've been a vampire for like a thousand years and the vampire who bit you is then killed, does that mean after a thousand years of being a vampire, you'll no longer be a vampire anymore? No, I think, I think it just, you, I, I, uh, my, my, personal understanding of the, of the lore is that like it's that first night that first night yeah okay. you, you kind of have to make the the 100 transformation like all the way then it's not non-reversible sort of thing okay all right that makes sense i, I that's I, again that's sort of been my understanding of it but uh, I've, I've yet to find a real vampire to talk to about that just <laughs> hanging out in the wrong places i i, I do I, I hang out with a lot of crucifixes so I'm constantly draped in garlic <laughs> and covered in crosses. That's why you're so popular with the ladies. <laughs> that is right. I'm basically a Jesuit. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, okay, so so now we kind of know we know we kind of know the stakes. And uh, actually, I was going to say too about and no pun intended with stakes. By the way, um, <laughs> I also think that that part of the lore, that little bit of like. Oh, if we can kill the vampire before this time, it'll reverse the thing. I also feel like that's sort of like a movie thing, where it's like, oh, let's kind of like up the ante by making the hero lose the you know the damsel in, in distress to the sway of the vampire. But it can be reversed, but only if they win in time, sort of thing. I wonder if that's just a Hollywood uh, in, invention. I 
I don't think so. No? Okay. Interesting. Because I think if I'm not... I, I could be wrong. Um, it was years ago when I read Dracula, but I'm... Like, there's a race against time. At the third act of that novel is a race against time to kill Dracula because Mina is turning. Oh, gosh. You are totally right. I completely I'm, blanked on that. I'm not 100% sure. I forget exactly the way it plays out. I know it doesn't play out like the fucking Bram Stoker's Dracula, <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola movie. Right, right, right. But... Yeah, I'm pretty sure pretty sure that happens. Uh, I think you're right and that but that's definitely the reason why you're on the show. You're like you are the aficionado. That's why we brought you in for this one. So <laughs> thank you. Way to step up to the plate and knock me down a peg or two. I appreciate that. If I can also just kind of redirect us back to the uh, Peter Vincent versus Ed yeah. fight. Yeah. It's great. How fight. how phenomenal is that? It's so good. It's a really great fight. Uh, 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 you know, Peter's reluctance to, to kind of... I mean, he's fighting for his life, and I think the only reason why he's able to kill Ed is because he knows, he finally realizes, like, it's him or me. Cause, right. Because it seems like it, it, yeah. for a while he's trying to, like, just get away or keep him keep Ed away from him. Like, he, he seems very reluctant to actually kill somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it's not when Ed, who's in wolf form, leaps at him that uh, Peter uses the stake and then throws the wolf form body off of the balcony into the chandelier and then on, onto the living room floor. Um, but also just it, the audience is then put through this kind of grueling experience of, of watching Ed transform from wolf back to boy. Yeah. And it's this, it's this really painful experience. Uh, the special effects are great. And it's kind of like the transformation scene in American werewolf in London, Mm -hmm. but in reverse reverse, where it's really slow and it's really painful and Roddy McDowell's acting in that scene, I think, is phenomenal. Yes, as, because... as he's watching him turn into a boy again, and he, yeah, the 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 emotion on his face, yeah, exactly. So good. And, and 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 that's like the moment that that's the moment that that character realizes like what has to be done. Oh, and that's also you know, when, when when uh, Peter Vincent gets his faith back, so that the next time he draws a crucifix on Jerry, it will have an effect. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're you're 100 right. That is an insanely powerful scene, uh, insanely uh, salient to the plot of the movie. Like Peter has to have that experience, or yeah. or he's not, he's not gonna have anything going into the into the final fight. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really really good. You're right about that. And, and you know, speaking of the great effects in the movie, uh, the the scene I was gonna bring up next here is is it's it's Charlie and and Peter Vincent, and they're about to confront Jerry again. But before that, they have to confront Billy. Who's this yes. sort of like undead, but not a vampire? Um, he's like Jerry's live-in contractor or something like that. I guess. <laughs> something, yeah. <laughs> but when they he Peter shoots him a couple different times, and uh, when they finally get to kill, <laughs> when they finally get to kill Billy, it takes a bit. Talk about those effects. Yes. 
I mean, just great. You're watching the guy kind of melt before your eyes. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like the ending of Raiders of the Lost Ark, yeah. but, but in slow motion. In slower motion, and, yeah. And, and, and a lot of green goo. A lot of green goo, like pouring out of like the, the sleeves of his shirt as he's kind of like melting before them. And he goes from like goo to sand. It's really a cool effect. Yeah, and the effect. Yeah, the the effect just looks awesome. I, you know, it's one of those things. It's like I, I wish they still did effects like that. You know, the, the the practical effects in this movie, I think, are really really solid. Yes, very solid. And uh, so, okay, so as 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 we're moving here, the, uh, the the sun is coming up. It's getting closer and closer to dawn. This is when Jerry turns into a bat and, and attacks Peter. Yes, and this is right before he flees to go into his coffin in the basement. But uh, Charlie and Peter Vincent will not be denied, and they pursue into the basement. Uh, and this is where you get uh, basically this is where Chris Sarandon is is going to be in prosthetic effects as is sort of like the the monster, the vampire for the rest yeah. of this picture. But we also get to see the horrifying transformation of Amy. Yeah, it's great looking. The, that is uh, an insanely good monster effect to this day. I think. Yeah. Um... You know, one of the, one of the things I, I I like about the the design of the vampires in this movie is that it's like their mouths are just so full of teeth that it's almost like they can barely talk, and 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 the the teeth are projecting out of the mouth. You know, like they can't even close their mouths, and and I I really like that. And then with Amy, they just took it ten steps further and gave her this massive kind of twisted smile mm -hmm. and and yeah like you said it it, it just looks great it, it, it's such a great design and yeah and and Amy, uh amanda i forget how you say her last name uh bierce i thought it was bierce but i, I could be mistaken yeah she, but can, she can correct us when she listens to the show she can <laughs> um uh so and, and yeah her her performance under the makeup is is very good as well yeah yeah, really, really cool stuff there. And so we get the, you know, uh, uh, Charlie's trying to fight off Amy, and, and Peter is trying to kill Jerry, tries to stake him in the coffin. Uh, we end up having to break a bunch of, you know, because we're in the basement, and they Jerry's blacked out all the windows in the basement. They start breaking the windows to get the light in there. And that's yes. eventually how we get to kill Jerry is is the light. Exposure to sunlight, yes. still the most deadly form of, of death to a vampire. Correct. And they are able to kill Jerry in time. And uh, mm -hmm. reverses the curse on Amy, and all three friends warmly embrace. I know, I know we sort of fast forwarded a lot of this movie, but there's a lot to get to today. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, one other thing I wanted to mention: we, you know, uh, Jerry is such a charismatic character in this movie. Uh, you know, from when he's like sort of uh, uh, being like super neighborly with Charlie's mom and and all these things. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the character, and uh, from what I've read, this is something that, that Chris Sarandon brought to the character, uh, and they just put it into film because they're like, sure, Chris, do that. That's fine. And it was, it was the stuff of the apples, his kind of like obsession yeah. with eating apples. Yes. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, Chris, Chris, Chris Sarandon's info was kind of like uh, he had done – you know, he had done all the research on vampires and stuff like that. And, and then as a result of that, he um, ended up doing research on bats. And I guess he found that um, vampire bats and fruit bats 
share like a common gene or something like that. So his thought was, well, maybe Jerry is kind of part fruit bat and that that's where that comes from. Yeah, I'd heard, I had heard read that as well. I thought that was pretty funny and, and interesting at the same time. So just like this yeah. fun little quirk that Sarandon brought to the character and uh, again, another little little piece that made the character a little bit more charming. Yeah, absolutely. And definitely something they decided to keep for uh, the, the 2011 remake. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, I'm going to highlight a little bit more of Jerry because I do want to, I do think Chris Sarandon's performance is really good and really understated, uh, particularly when it comes to going from charming and charismatic neighbor guy to, to being frightening and menacing. I think he flips that switch pretty well. He flips the switch well, and I think it's nice to just kind of see that there there are so many different layers to the character. Mm -hmm. You know, like I I like the fact that that he is nice and charming and he seems like, you know, to Charlie's mom, he seems like a perfectly normal, nice guy that she would want to date. I, I think that's a great aspect of, of the character that, that Chris Sarandon really, really brought to it. And then, but then, yeah, as, as you go deeper, there's, there's the more menacing side to him as well. Well, and then also like, you know, in between the two, those two levels, I mean, you got, I can't help it, man. That club scene, dude, he, he turns on that, that sex appeal and you know, <laughs> it, a, a multifaceted performance, a multifaceted vampire, Jerry Dandridge. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, to, to me, that that's sort of like the, the this portrayal is, is is you know that's the kind of appeal of the of the, the allure of the vampire is like this kind of like ultimate chameleon. Yeah, and it's it's definitely something that vampire fiction's gotten away from uh, over over like the last you know twenty thirty years since Fright Night came out. But we'll talk about that a little bit more as we as we transition to the two thousand eleven Fright Night. Any right. any closing thoughts on eighty fives? I have to say, watching it, this is, so I haven't seen the original, one, I haven't seen this in, in a long time, and it's it's one of those ones that mostly when I was a kid, I just kind of saw in bits and pieces here and there, mm-hmm. um, but this, watching it this last time was maybe only my third time seeing it from beginning to end, and I gotta say, it just keeps getting better every time I watch it. It... I was really blown away with it. I, I I walked away from it thinking like that's that's a little mini masterpiece of horror cinema, and it deserves its cult classic status. It it deserves all of the praise that it that it gets. I don't think. Okay, there's one thing, <laughs> and I'll, I'll mention that. But I don't think, other than that one thing. I don't think there's any about anything about this film that doesn't work. Uh, I, I think it's all fantastic. No, I totally agree with you. Uh, it was a movie that I think I came to fairly late. I want to say I got I got into it like kind of like in my early to mid twenties is when I first kind of got discovered Fright Night uh, initially. Uh, but and then I kind of lost. I didn't watch it for quite a few years. But I feel like the last four or five Halloweens, I watch it every year now because I just I, I love it so much. Nice. Yeah. Um, and by the way, it, it, for anyone listening, if you want to check out the original 85 Fright Night, it is currently streaming on Amazon Prime for free. Yes. Or, I mean, yeah. assuming you pay for Prime, you can watch it without yeah. paying extra. Yeah, if you have Prime and you haven't seen it or it's been a long time since you've seen it, oh man, do I recommend you watch it. Because it's also kind of just like a perfect Halloween film in that, you know, it it is a horror movie, but it has enough 
scare or it is a horror movie but it has enough laughs in it like you said to be very accessible and you know it's kind of the the creepy spooktacular fun that we kind of want around halloween yeah i totally agreed and and, uh, just as we wrap it up too I, i should say that there was a little bit of a teaser at the very end of the movie uh that uh ed didn't die and that he's now in jerry's house yes you get the uh oh brewster you're so cool line yes (laughs) <laughs> as, as they, they sort of tease the idea of, of being able to go back and do another Fright Night. Well, they did do another Fright well, Night. Well, we will talk. <laughs> we're, we're, we'll get to that later. I, I don't want to. I want to put a pin in that for a little bit. <laughs> okay. All right. Because I don't. I don't want to go there just yet. Okay. Because I, I went on a Fright Night binge. <laughs> oh shit! All right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that that still may be another podcast because I mean we're already you know something like fifty minutes into this this puppy and we haven't gotten to the the two thousand eleven yet. All good. Can, <laughs> can 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 I just say the one thing that 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 doesn't work? And and if I'm wrong, please feel free to correct yes, me. Yes, please by all means. Jerry is Charlie's neighbors. Their how they, you see in the opening shot of the film that their homes share the same property right mm-hmm. like but then over the course of the movie there are other shots where jerry's house is across the street from charlie's oh i didn't as opposed that. to sharing the same property look i don't know if maybe they just kind of moved the camera around or something but i i felt like the position of their homes in relation to each other changed a couple times during the movie and that was the one thing that kind of took me out of it maybe there was something i didn't notice though i i know tom holland has been very uh public about saying that there there are a couple shots that he messed up and that that he didn't notice until like you know rewatching like 10 15 years later he's like oh i shouldn't have had the camera there <laughs> mm. so maybe maybe this well, one the, is, i the, couldn't say yeah maybe there there is one shot um if, if you want to talk about continuity errors, there is one shot where uh, Jerry is supposed to be in Charlie's mother's bedroom. Yes, the, the shows... mirror. What's that? The, 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 the mirror? Are you referring to that shot? I, I, it's that scene, but the, the, the shot before that, it kind of just shows Jerry walking toward the camera. And in the background, you can clearly see that he's in Charlie's room and not his mother's. <laughs> just saying All right. look I love the movie but I also love pointing out little things like this I repel you with the power of Christ the Lord do you really it's a mighty big cross you got there Charlie the question is do you have faith get back Charlie not the cross get Charlie back. not the cross Charlie alright so let's transition now to the 2011 remake of Fright Night. Uh, I know I said it before, but I'll, I'll say it again. This one is directed by Craig Gillespie, who did... Uh, what did he direct? Uh, Lars and the Real Girl? Lars and the Real Girl. Lars and the Real Girl. Uh, story credit still goes to Tom Holland from the first one. Uh, but Marty Noxon gets the screenplay credit, and uh, she's from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So she has some yes. uh, 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 vampire bona fides about her. Uh, the cast is Anton Yelchin, Colin Farrell, Tony Collette, David Tennant, Imogen Poots, and Christopher Mintz-Place. Is it Place? Place? I always say Place, but I don't know. Just Colin McLovin. He, he's a fan of that. He loves it. 
McLovin. That's how he'll always be known. You also get an uh, early appearance of Dave Franco in this movie. <laughs> yes. Yes, you do. And cameo from Chris Sarandon, but we'll talk about that when it comes up. <laughs> yes. All right, so uh, I, I've said it before uh, in the introduction to the show, I'm not, I'm not a remake fan. I generally don't care for them in the least. Uh, and I, initially I wasn't interested in this movie, but you were the one who told me that I should check it out and that you thought I would dig it. And you were right. This has become one of my favorite uh, staples for the for the kind of you know not well not just Halloween but I mean just a movie I'll pop on if I want to have a good time. Hmm, isn't that ironic? Don't you think? Well, no, I simply mean because my opinion of this film is not very good. Oh, that is that is interesting. Okay, <laughs> I thought I remembered you really liked this at one point. I saw it in theaters. I quite enjoyed it. Watching it this, I have not seen it since then, and watching it this last time, I was like, oh boy. <laughs> oh, wow. All right, so this is not the podcast I thought we were going to have then, because I thought <laughs> we both liked this movie. So this could get really interesting here in, in just a minute. It, 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 sure. Well, okay, so uh, in a lot of senses, the movie is, is essentially the same. As, it's as, the same. Right? Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we've updated our location uh, we're now uh, in the suburbs outside of Las Vegas, which I think makes a ton of sense. Uh, you know, people work at nights, they black out their windows. Uh, you know, you could have a vampire living next door in Vegas and not know it. That makes a decent amount of sense to me. Makes a certain amount of sense, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know if a vampire would want to live in the, in the desert, no matter what. I'm sure you can find some more kind of nightlife-based towns outside of outside of Las Vegas. Well, I mean, as they, as they also point out in the movie, you know, you have you have a, a fairly transient population, so people kind of come and go. You know, people going missing doesn't necessarily raise too many eyebrows, I suppose. Mm. Sure, let's go. Let's go. With yeah, that. well, you know, maybe maybe it only makes sense in the movie. I don't know. Um, but again, we're we're introduced to a new Charlie Brewster, his 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 mother, uh, a new Amy, a new Ed, and a new Jerry, and a new Peter Vincent. But yes. let's let's kind of start at the, at the beginning of the movie. Uh, we're kind of thrown into it right from the get go, as 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 we see. Well, I mean, I guess it's fair to say that it's Jerry <laughs> hunting a family, hunting and killing a family down right at the beginning of the movie. Yes, we're not given a lot of context, but we get there fairly quickly. Um, right, and this is when we get after this opening scene uh, is when we're introduced to our new our new Charlie, our new Amy, and our new Mrs. Brewster. Uh, what did you think of the new new iterations of the characters? Um, I'm a big fan of Anton Yelchin. Die too soon. Um, R.I.P., sir. R.I.P. Yes. Um, and so he was one of the reasons why I was, I was really interested in this movie. I was like, you know what? I like Anton Yelchin, so I'm, I'm willing to, to give this a shot. Uh, my, my only criticism... And, it's odd because he would have been about 22 when this film was made. Okay. And that's kind of standard for Hollywood casting of teenagers. Sure. You usually cast someone in their early 20s. Yeah. But for some reason, he just looks older to me. <laughs> and I just think there's no way this guy is in high school. Now, I I don't hold that against the film. I mean, whatever. you got to have actors and and... 
you know, I, I think Yelchin does does a good job. Well, well, I mean, listen. To, to, to be fair, I mean, there, another movie that I, I I love and I hope to have uh, this month on 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 uh, on the podcast for Halloween is is Scream, and all those kids look look like they're thirty five years old. They do, don't they? <laughs> so let's let's give Anton the benefit of the doubt here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, hey, it's not his fault if they cast me at thirty five. I would do it too. Like, who cares? <laughs> I, I like Anton's uh, uh, Charlie. I, I think he is uh, uh, relatable and understandable. Absolutely. Uh, he you know uh, he has his friendship with Ed in this movie is very different. They they grew up together as like super nerds. Uh, yeah. But Charlie's trying to grow beyond that, and it's caused him and Ed to have a very strange relationship. Um, I, I'm I'm curious what you think of their dynamic of of Ed and Charlie's relationship because I remember at one point thinking, I think when I, maybe when I first saw the movie, like I kind of felt bad for the Ed character because his friend sort of abandoned him and, and moved on with his life kind of situation. Uh, but then as I'm watching the scene, you know, as, as I was watching it over the last couple of years, I kind of think Ed's a dick <laughs> at the same time. What do you think? Well, I, I mean, first I, I, I want to say it, the, the Ed Charlie relationship is one of the things that I do like about this film. I like getting a little bit of that backstory because like we said about the 85 version, you know, we're not given much history on Charlie and Ed's relationship and it seems a little, a little weird. Mm -hmm. And here we kind of get an explanation for that. Charlie has kind of become a little bit of a douche because he's just all about his appearance and girls and looking cool and as a result, he has ditched all of his nerd friends, uh, including Ed. And Ed's not too happy about that. I, I think ultimately the the kind of the point of their relationship is that is that they're they're both wrong, you know. Like Ed takes it too far, his resentment for Charlie, and um, but but yeah, Charlie is. He's being a dick. He's completely ghosting his friends who've been there for him for 16, 17 years. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a, a fair assessment of it. I, I, I uh, on my recent viewings of this, though, I, I, I think I've, I was more like on Ed's side. Like I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, Charlie is kind of becoming like this this kind of a dick because he wants to be cool and fit in with the, with the in crowd. Um, but over like the last couple of years, when I watched this movie, um, I've I've, I've I've lessened on that because I, I think Ed is kind of a, uh, is kind of an asshole and the, like him calling uh, the, the names he calls Amy are, are so fucking vile, like calling her a slut and calling her a piece of ass and stuff like that. It's just like, Oh, that's gross. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you're right. But I think the thing is, is that ultimately what you got to remember about that is I don't necessarily like I, when I hear that from Ed, I don't think he means those things. He's just trying to hurt Charlie. You uh, know? He's doing it in the wrong way. He shouldn't be trying to hurt him to begin with. But at the same time, you know, he's also just doing it in the wrong way. He's definitely doing it in the wrong way. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think Ed calling Charlie out for abandoning his friends is, you know, spot on. But this is when we also get introduced to the, to the fact that Ed and their other friend, who we saw get killed in the opening of the movie... Have been spying yes. on Jerry. They're they they are aware of this this Jerry who now lives next to Charlie. Now yes. before we get too far down that road, 
we're still introducing our characters here. <laughs> so yes, let's let's talk about the new Amy. Uh, Imogen Poots as as Amy. Fan? Not a fan? Uh, I think she's good. I think is that how you say her name, Imogen? I don't know if that's. I could be dead wrong on that. I, she can Imogen... also correct me. Send me a note on on Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> and let me know. Um, so she uh, she's fine. I I her performance whatever but i think the depiction of the character is a little bit lacking you know um I whereas think she becomes, i think she becomes more more developed as the movie goes on but initially like she she comes across as a rather one note shallow kind of character but it does get better as the picture plays it it does get better but at the at the same time i don't feel like she really kind of goes through anything um you know like she doesn't well, she is I, I, don't, I don't even want to say she like goes through a journey she's kind of more just like along for the ride and i i think it's unfortunate because i i i you know i think amy from from the 85 fright night is a very strong character and i think they kind of i think they kind of took that all away from her well we'll talk about that later i think her journey is just different and i think it's a little i don't know if beneath the surface is the right word here but we'll we'll talk about it more in a minute uh before okay. before i get into jerry cuz i got a lot to say about about this iteration colin farrell's version of of jerry uh, let, okay. Let's talk about the new Peter Vincent, the the, the David Tennant, uh, m- illusionist slash magician slash cult expert. Uh, what, what did you He's think of this version of Peter Vincent? Terrible. <laughs> oh, terrible. So look, I have one. I'm just gonna make this clear. One, I like David Tennant. Two, I have no connection to the doctor other than the few episodes of doctor who that I've seen are David Tennant and I liked him in it, but this was what I was saying about the 85 version. The 85 version is this character who the, the sort of the, the reality he knows is flipped on its head. All of a sudden vampires are real and that's part of the fun of it with this character. It's, He's always known vampires are real, and therefore it kind of takes the fun out of the character, and then the only fun that the character is really able to bring is lowbrow humor about him being drunk, scratching himself, belching, and making sexual innuendos. (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm going to say something that kind of fast-forwards to... Uh, like the, the closing of the second act into the third act of the movie, uh, but with 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 the Peter, Jesus, uh, I almost said Peter David, with the with, with the Peter <laughs> character. Uh, yes, when when he kind of confesses to Charlie that his parents were murdered by vampires, that was not like one of my favorite elements of this picture. Right. Uh, because I liked the idea that this Peter Vincent was just completely full of shit. Right. And they kind of undid that. By, by giving him like this like secret history with vampires. Yeah. And to me, I, I don't know if it, I don't want to say it like under, I, 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 I don't know. I just felt like it was like, oh, I would have liked this better if he was just lying the entire movie about being an expert in something that he knew nothing about. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, it, it's one of those things, um, kind of, kind of one of my criticisms of this movie is that it, I, I mean, outside of the kind of aesthetic of the film it is essentially the same movie so it kind of begs the point of 
well, why'd you even remake it in the first place? This is the one thing that they did different, and here I am saying it doesn't work. Well, so. I'll, I'll, I'll get into I'll get into it something again. I, I, a lot of my uh, enjoyment of this movie uh, derives from from the new uh, iteration of Jerry, but we're, we're, I'm not quite there yet because I still want to talk about Peter Vincent. Because I was yeah. going to say also the the one thing you know. Uh, uh, much like the 85 Peter Vincent, he chases Charlie away, tells him to get the fuck out of his house, you know, doesn't believe anything he's saying, none of this stuff. Even though, again, again we eventually find out that he does know that vampires are real. So it, it, it kind of creates, creates this weird paradox of, of, of the character. Uh, it's, it, I, di- I did think about that, and I, I think at that point, you, you, can, you can say that Peter Vincent thinks that Charlie at this point is, is just a crank. You know, I suppose, but again, like if if the Peter Vincent character's in on the secret that vampires are real, I I would suspect, other than the fact that maybe he's just a drunken lush, that you know he would kind of hear the kid out, since yeah. apparently his parents were murdered by vampires. Yeah, but it is yeah. it, it isn't until uh, Peter de- look, finally looks at the pictures that he just kept laying around for several days that that Charlie dropped off at his house, and they they find like that old, uh, uh, I forget what he calls it. He's like it's like this uh, sigil. From like the Mediterranean that he recognizes as like the identifying marks of a, of some clan of vampires, the clan that apparently killed his parents, and it's it's a it's a sort of um, I think at that point Peter Vincent exists just to sort of give us that bit of information, right? Did you just have a fire truck back in or something? Uh, no, a sparklets truck. <laughs> I was like, what is that fucking beeping? It was so distracting. It is literally right next to my window. Can we can we hold until it's gone? I was just gonna keep going if you want, but if you, uh, if you want to keep going, that's fine. I yeah, but it, it's just right there. No. It was super distracting. Yeah, it, uh, I I thought it was like a garbage truck out my window at first. I was like, what what? <laughs> oh god, yeah, garbage days here are Tuesday. I thought I was in the clear. I forgot somebody gets fucking sparkless delivered. Who gets sparkless delivered still? What the fuck I... year is this? Don't fucking know. Does, does, does our mom live in your building? <laughs> she wishes. <laughs> yeah, she probably does. Yeah. <laughs> she could do your laundry for you, Mark. That'd be great. That would be great. <laughs> I fucking hate going to the laundromat. Oof. Peter, I like David Tennant. I like the performance he gives here. I just, sometimes the, I find the Peter Vincent's there for kind of conflicting reasons, I suppose. Okay. Uh, I it, It's... And I get it. I, get, I think they were trying to do something different than 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 Roddy's performance from the '85 one because that was going to be kind of a hard thing to top. And I wasn't sure, yeah. if, you know, maybe they didn't want to go the route of like. I guess they just want to take Peter Vincent in a, in, a, in a different direction. Sure. Yeah. But at, at a certain point, he's just kind of there to be exposition, which is like a little like, eh, did we need that? Yeah, and which is my biggest knock on the film. Yeah, he, he he's exposition, and I think I don't know. Towards the end of the film, it's just kind of like, why, like, why are you even here? Just go away. Well, yeah, again, because he has he, he has a personal stake in it. I feel like, I, for whatever reason, maybe there's like some something missing from the script where they they were like, why is Peter Vincent in this movie? <laughs> and they had to come up with a reason. And they're like, oh, because his parents were murdered by uh, the vampires who are from the same group that Colin Farrell's from. And it just seemed like it, they took the shortest route to get to a reason why he would be invested in this. 
Well, kind of like what you said, not to fast forward ahead too far here, but I got the impression that it wasn't just the same clan that took out. uh, Oh, no, it turns out to be Colin Farrell. It was Colin Farrell. It's it's Colin Farrell. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. So, again, this is a movie I really, really enjoy. But like, that's my knock on it is that I was like, oh, well, that's kind of fucking convenient that we gave. Uh, David, or uh, that we gave Peter Vincent personal stakes in this as well. Yeah, he, you know he he just couldn't be like the helpful guy who's trying to help this kid uh, save his girlfriend and and his his, uh, his you know neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I mean I get it. You know they you want to do something different, and I, I'll give him credit for wanting to do something different. But like you said, it seems like they just kind of took a shortcut. Well, and also I, I was also curious too. I. I my memory is not great on some things involving real life, uh, but I feel like in 2011, okay, this came out 2011, but obviously it was probably filmed 2009, 2010, something like something like that. Uh, yeah. And there was sort of like this uh, resurgence of magicians slash illusionists at the time. Like uh, David Blaine's the only one I can think of, but I'm sure there were more like Chris Angel, I think, was a big one. The mind freak. I mean, yeah, the, the character definitely seems like a knockoff of... Uh... Or rather, um, a spoof of the uh, the Chris Angel character. Yeah, and, and I felt like maybe like that was something that maybe dates the movie a little bit because like I don't think anyone's even heard of Chris Angel in the last decade, <laughs> but I could be wrong. But you know, yeah. like that Vegas magician thing was kind of a big deal back then. Yeah, yeah, and it, that was one of the things. It, it did stick out to me. Like, I mean, this this movie starts on an advertisement yeah. for for his show. And it, just, it did. It just felt like what? Who? No one cares about this. Yeah. So this this, yeah. P- this Peter Vincent has a has a Vegas show called Fright Night. Our our original Peter Vincent had a a horror movie show called Fright Night. So right. Uh, that that's kind of like the the connection there. But these characters of all the characters in the movie, uh, these are probably the most different from their eighty five. The eighty five and two thousand eleven versions are probably the most different. Right. I mean, just, like, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, Charlie and and Ed and Amy are all very modern, but like they're still understandable as as young people. I think we all kind of still understand and can process where they're coming from with their motivations. Yeah, one one thing about Charlie that that they that they did with this film that that I did like was was they did give him more of an arc about sort of wanting to be a man um, about what that means and, and protecting his family and his friends and his loved ones. They, they, they did add that on. I'll give him credit for that. It seemed a little bit tacked on at times, like a little bit underdeveloped, but it, it was at least there. So I, I could appreciate that. Yeah. And I, I don't think they did it in a way that is, uh, counterintuitive even in 2020. You know, I don't think it was like this overtly masculine display of like Charlie Brewster, manly man. And it doesn't ring that way to me. No, I, it, it's more about just taking responsibility for for your actions, I think. Yeah, because, I mean, just like 85 Charlie, 2011 Charlie kind of brings all this on himself, basically. Yeah. You know, uh, he starts, he, he kind of picks up Ed's, after his friends disappear and Ed goes missing as well, uh, Charlie does start to kind of pick up the trail and, and starts to pursue right. and, and, and start piecing together all the evidence that, that Ed... And the other friend, whose name I can't remember, I think I want to say it's Adam, but I could be mistaken. Adam, no, you're right. Yeah. And uh, uh, you know all the evidence they've they've accumulated that Jerry is a vampire. 
And again, yes. they, they do the good. They do the, you know, the, this movie also incorporates a lot of those classic tropes of uh, instead of being able to cast a reflection, uh, he also can't be recorded on on anything. You, you can't film him. Well, I think that I, I think the reason why for that is because a lot of, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of cameras use mirrors. You're the camera guy. You tell me. It's been so long, man. <laughs> I, I could I couldn't tell you what's in in modern digital cameras. So well, 2000, 2011. I mean, it may have been something that was filmed and then uploaded digitally. I don't. You know, I, I could be wrong though. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't think digital was quite as prevalent. I, I could be wrong though. 2011 also feels like three days ago. <laughs> so what do I know? <laughs> All right, but let's. Okay, I, I guess now's a good point to talk about the 2011 Colin Farrell. Jerry. This is a different Jerry. Yes. He likes apples. He does like green apples this time. Uh, I I'd, I'd liked that they kept the apples. Yeah, me too. Uh, but this is a very different Jerry Dandridge. They, I don't even know if they call him Jerry Dandridge in this movie. I think it's just Jerry, isn't it? It's Jerry, but I think if you look in the credits or on IMDb, it's credited as Jerry Dandridge. Okay. Well, regardless... Yeah. He's uh, he's Charlie's new neighbor. He works on the strip doing construction at nights. So that's why he's you know so he sleeps during the day. Blah blah blah. Blacked out yep. windows. It all makes sense. He does yes. not have he does not have a manservant living with him this time because he can do his own contracting work. Boo. <laughs> uh, but this this Jerry, what's the best way to describe him? I wouldn't say he's charming by any means, but he's like no, not at all. He's like this like he's, <laughs> but he's got like this like a. Uh, smoldering sexiness about him that the women find alluring at first yeah i i think he definitely you know it's like that bad boy appeal yeah kind of thing yeah but but this jerry is very much a predator and i mean that in a couple different ways i mean that in the sense that yes he's going to eat you so he's like i mean they say it, ed, ed says it early in the movie that he's like the shark in jaws and that's yeah. a little that's a little too on the nose but yes he's right and but he's also like a sexual predator too. Like his interactions with women in this movie, uh, with Amy in particular, and when he's talking to Charlie, when when he's in the doorway and Charlie's getting in the six pack of beer, that is a creepy, unsettling conversation about women. Okay. I I urge. I mean, <laughs> yes, he says things like she is ripe. I don't know, but to me, that's just like. I don't know. This is like vampire talk. Like, I don't know anyone who talks like that. Sexual predators. Okay, I don't know many sexual predators then. Well, you're hanging out with the wrong people, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Hey, you called me on it. Now I'll call you. (laughs) No, it's... I mean, he's a a predator. Like I said, a multifaceted predator. Like, yes, he's going to eat you, but he's also like the the toxic masculinity kind of predator as well. Like the, the... women are objects and women are possessions kind of thing. It, it, it's all, you know, like they mean nothing to him basically. And again, part of that's because he's a vampire. I feel like that's strictly because he's a vampire. Right. But I, I'm, but I'm saying like it, any... it, it plays it, like there's, I think there's a subtext there is, I guess all I'm trying to say. I think you can interpret it that way if you want, but well, that, mm-hmm. that, that's what I was going to get at with, with this Amy in her journey, uh, because in, in a sense, she's a victim of a sex crime. Of a sexual predator. Uh, 
Uh, okay. Am I reading, am I going yeah, too far? I, am I reading too much into this? I mean, because he takes her against her will in the club. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it, I, it, sure. It, there's it's not like uh, uh, you know our our standard definition of 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 rape or anything like like that. You know, there's no like not any kind of sexual penetration of genitalia. I suppose maybe. I, I, but but I think if you I I think if you read that into this, you can read that into so many other movies where that that's not the point. You know, I'm I'm not saying that's the point at all. Uh, I I don't okay. I don't I don't think I I don't think I want to say it's the point. But I mean, when you juxtapose it with Amy and and Charlie's sexual relationship or lack thereof in this movie, and then you have this kind of predator like Jerry imposing himself on her, I I think it can play in a couple of different ways. Well, it, like a, yeah, but I stand I stand by what I said. If you want to interpret it like that i think you can i don't think that was the intention though oh i don't know i i, I sort of think it was and I, I, again i'm not trying to persuade you like your your opinion is your own and that's fine i think i, I think that's one reason why I, I like this particular remake is because i think it can work in a couple of different ways and i that's something i find in, in, interesting infinitely interesting about the movie is that that colin farrell is just fucking creepy in multiple levels <laughs> Okay. He is a oh boy. <laughs> like, I don't want that guy living next to me even if he's not a vampire. <laughs> well, right. And I I mean you're right about that. Like he definitely comes off as creepy. Um and to me to me I look, I think Colin Farrell is great in this movie. I do too. I I, he... I I I don't want to sound like I'm knocking his performance. I think it's great. I love him in this. Yeah, and, you know, I think he steals it. I, I think this is Colin Farrell's movie. But at the same time, it's a, it's a bit one-note. And you contrast that with Chris Sarandon's Jerry. There's nothing charming about this character. There, like, there's no reason for anyone to like him. Especially Amy and Charlie's mom, because he's just giving them creepy sex looks the whole time. Right. But but we know that they're not creepy sex looks. He just looks at everyone like he wants to eat them, because he does. Therefore, no one in their right mind would ever want to be around this character. But, but that's what I'm saying, though. It's like Again, as the audience, we're privy to, like, we know who Jerry is. Right. From Amy and, and Mrs. Brewster's perspective, he's just like a smoldering hunk next door who wants to do naughty things to them. And it's like, no, no, no. There, that, that, <laughs> he wants to do naughty things, but not the naughty things you're thinking of. Okay. Like I said, I just think, this, I, I just think there's a, a more uh, nuance to this performance than, than maybe he gets credit for. And I, I know Colin Farrell has talked about this role and how he, he thought it was actually fairly challenging uh, because – their take on Jerry was was sort of like the the soulless killing machine. Uh, so whenever he shows any kind of emotion, he's kind of faking it. Like there's nothing genuine about the character other than when he wants to eat you. And like there's a big sense that like any sort of enjoyment that he actually does experience at, in, in his existence is when he's playing with his food, per se. Yeah, I I mean that's the thing. I feel like I I've read that same 
quote from Colin Farrell, and I kind of disagreed with it because simply simply because it, like like a soulless killing machine. That's that's Schwarzenegger and and Terminator. You know what I mean? Like this character <laughs> seemed to take a look. What's that? Not Commando. Definitely not Commando. He's <laughs> way too passionate about getting his daughter back and shoving pipes in people's stomachs. <laughs> Stick around. But um, what's that? Stick around. That's right. Well, no, that's Predator. Damn it, that was Predator. All right, you win. Let off a little steam, Let Bennett. Let off a little steam, Bennett. Damn it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like, like, yeah, like he did take, he seemed to take a little bit too much enjoyment in what he was doing to be this, the, the kind of like, like soulless uh, sort of killing machine. Um, and forgot where I was going with that, but, um, that's okay. Don't worry. I'll, uh, I'll talk for a little bit. If you get it back, just interrupt me. Okay. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, I did like, I did like the, the, the element they added to, to Jerry of when he's a vampire. I, I liked the whole shark aspect that they gave Jerry when he's, when he's in vampire mode. I was a big fan of that. I was a little less of a fan of them pointing it out to me in the beginning of the movie. Sure. <laughs> like I would have liked to have gotten there on my own. I didn't need them to tell it to me. But, well, uh, look, it's DreamWorks, so it's Steven Spielberg. He's got to bring up Jaws. <laughs> but I, I like that. I was like, oh, that kind of makes a, a decent amount of sense for for a vampire. If you want, you know, for a different iteration of one, at least, you know, everyone has to kind of show a different version of a vampire nowadays. Uh, I think, yeah, and I was gonna say I think so, and it. it it seemed very reminiscent to me of like the the thirty days of night vampires, where they are just kind of bloody, gory monsters. Yeah, and... I, I like the blacked out eyes and, and all of that. I I think that works aesthetically for for a vampire, especially. It's if, a cool look. Yeah, especially especially if you're playing them, uh, you know, in a more traditional sense of like just like these beasts who must feed or they'll die. You know, not like sure. this a uh, uh, sparkly vampire in the Pacific Northwest who wants to love everybody. He just wants to love one girl. Well, Come whatever, on, girl. whatever. Or you know, even in, and I, I don't mean this as a, as a knock on 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 the characters, but even like the Anne Rice romantic esque vampires of of the of the you know the Lestat books and stuff like that. I mean, I, I kind of like the vampires have got, have gotten away from these these more far. I don't know, farcical is the right word, but like just f- uh, further away from like their kind of concept. You know, the the sort of like folklore around them. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I more or less agree with that, but but I think that romantic aspect has always been, maybe not romantic aspect, but but the alluring aspect of the vampires has has always been there. No, listen, I like the I've read three or four of the Anne Rice novels, and I like them quite a bit. I think it's an interesting take, and I think that she's a uh, interesting writer. Uh, but but you know I I like vampires as vampires. <laughs> I just like you know what they're bad guys. That's I like that. That works for me. The only good vampire I like is Blade. And, and he's, he's only half vampire. And he's only half vampire. He's the daywalker. Racist. <laughs> racist. Yeah, you're racist against vampires. How dare you? You're the ice. <laughs> you're the motherfucker trying to ice skate up a hill. What's that? You're the motherfucker trying to ice skate up a hill. It can be done, damn it. <laughs> That's a line from Blade for anybody not paying attention. 
I, I well, let's get back to our movie here. Let's get back to Friday night. Yeah. Uh, our movie again. It, we don't need to go kind of through the beats on this one because it's pretty similar to the '85 version. You know, it's it's a lot of time with Charlie pursuing Jerry, trying to prove that he's a vampire, trying to persuade uh, Peter Vincent to come and help him. Uh, but uh, the one thing I like about this movie too is like once Jerry decides like he's it's 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 on. Oh, it's on. You know, like no more pretext. Like once he can't get the invite into the house, once uh, Mrs. Brewster won't invite him into the house, he just goes full fucking psycho and like rips the gas line out of the yard, starts a fire to chase them out of the house so that he can kill them all without having to worry about entering the house because they keep that they keep that piece of the folklore intact in this movie as well. They they do. And and like you said that 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 scene um in the doorway when uh Anton is, is is trying to hand him beer. Okay, that's a different. But, yeah, let, let, we're going back a little bit. But this is this is when only Anton seems to be aware that he's the creep, and he's about to kill the stripper girl from across the street. Right, but he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't realize it's the stripper girl yes. across the street. But but like that's such a good scene, and Colin Farrell is so good in that scene. Just mm-hmm. like his how he's like testing the doorway and just kind of like constantly trying to get in, you oh, know, and that, that and, little bit when Charlie kind of pulls the six pack back and yeah. he can't get, can't get past the door. Yeah. It's, it's really well done. Yeah. That was a little bit much pulling the six pack back. I was just like, why would you do that? <laughs> You're just giving it away. I don't know. I thought it was just like a little, like he, he, he just kind of pulls it back like a, like a, like a, like a, like a nut, like a touch. Just a, Ooh, Oh, like I'm so I weak, get I'm it, so weak. but I at the same time, at the same time, I'm just like, you know, you know, this guy's a vampire. You don't need to. You're letting him know that you know at this point. You know, and actually, I'm glad you backed me up because we, uh, we, we you know, shortly after that scene, uh, once we know, because because you know, Colin, uh, I keep calling Colin Farrell. I just want to call him Colin Farrell. But Jerry comes over to get that beer because he's going to have a girl come over, and it's the girl from across the street that that uh, Charlie's talked to at the beginning of the movie, so he knows her. Uh, and then we at one point we hear her scream in the middle of the night, and and I think this leads to another really great scene where where Charlie goes into the house to try and and, yes. and help the girl, and we find the secret room with all the yes. chambers in it where he's where he can keep people alive for days and just feed on them. I yeah. love that scene; it's really really good. Yeah one one of the things I, I I like about this film, and it's it's one of the things that is different about it, is that as as David Tennant says about. Uh, Colin Farrell's tribe of vampires is that they're snackers. Yeah. So they like to keep their prey alive and and feed on them from time to time whenever it suits them. So yeah, he has these these rooms built in his house uh, behind his closet or whatever. And yeah, it, it, it's a very good scene and it's it expands on kind of on on sort of vampire lore. It made me think of that that subplot from the original Blade. That was that was uh, oh, the deleted. Yeah, yeah, where yeah, where the the plan was to keep certain humans alive just as like snacks, yeah. you know. Yeah, so I was like, ah, that that's cool. I, I definitely I definitely enjoyed that that part of it. Well, and and I love the whole thing where when especially when when Jerry realizes that he's in the house, but he's just sort of letting Charlie go through everything to try yeah. and save the girl because even though. Uh, he's, Jerry's about to prove that he can't save the girl, but, right? But I, uh, one of the other things that's really good about that scene is I think it uh, I think it does a really good job and it speaks well to uh, Anton Yelchin's portrayal of Charlie. It's like you really kind of see like the 
the the the compassion that this character has and and, and the the wanting to do the right thing and, and help people uh you know when when he's in that room and he's watching the girl get uh, uh turned into food basically i mean the 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 look in his his eyes i mean says so much about about who that character is sure <laughs> sure no i mean it does i i don't think there's anything I don't think there's anything more to say, to kind of say about that, you know. It's like, because part of you is just like, what are you doing? Just get out of that fucking house, you know. Well, in the, in the, again, but, they, but he's doing the right thing, yeah. you know. And I, again, they ratchet up the tension in that, you know, the the trying to get her out uh, without being detected by Jerry, but Jerry's well aware of what's going on. And then mm-hmm. he basically lets them leave, and as soon as they step in the light, she explodes in a great ball of flame. Turns to ash. Turns yeah. to ash, because... Uh, because uh, as, as what should have been a big clue at this point in the movie, uh, Jerry's not necessarily feeding. He's also turning people. He's trying to build his ranks back up again. And this I was guess. something. This is something is that it... this is something that I liked about this about this movie as well. Uh, when we get to that that third act, and we find out that Jerry's been a, vi- a busy boy. We, we do, but it also makes me kind of wonder what was like. What's the end game here for him because i'm not like i'm not sure where this goes um well, that, again that's a nice part about this movie to me is like we, we we aren't burdened with a lot of exposition from jerry's character about his motivations or his plans uh he's just sort of the thing that's doing what it does and we're not expected to understand it or have to deal with its motivations I partly agree with that, but at the same time, it, it kind of goes back to what we were saying about, like, I, I think this film depends on the crutch of, oh, it's Las Vegas, it's a transient town, nobody notices if you come or go. I think it depends on that way too much, because at the end of the day, like, Jerry is taking out homeowners, you know, people are going to come looking for them. You can't just disappear and not have people come looking for you, especially like if you're paying a mortgage on a home or something like that. And to me, it just felt like this kind of fatal flaw in in the script and in and in his plan. And I like so like I wanted to like what exactly is your grand scheme here? Like, are you trying to turn Las Vegas into a town of vampires? Or are you just gonna make a bunch of vampires and then bail like like what's happening there, there are there are some elements that are a little half-baked like i you know i like that uh ed at the beginning of the movie is is noticing the fact that like students are missing and, and things of like that are, are are occurring but nobody else right. really seems to notice it because it because it's vegas and once charlie kind of gets clued in and he starts noticing that people are missing like it does yeah. kind of play up but yeah they don't really follow through real well right. with that with that with that uh plot line or plot element. Yeah. So I no, I I can agree with that. Like, listen, it's not a perfect movie by by any stretch, um, but I, I find it a fun movie and one of the again one of the better remakes because I think they did enough different that I can watch this and and still have my love for the eighty five. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I think you should be able to have that whatever remake you're watching. Well, most if, remakes, if, but, if it... but but most remakes are so terrible. Sure, and I, but and, but that, I don't think it detracts from your enjoyment of the original, does it? Well, the, also, though, and, I'm and, also and, I'm also talking to someone who doesn't seem to really like this remake as much as I thought they did. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
look, it was a surprise to me. I was really looking forward to watching it again, and I was just like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> well, the surprise is on me, my friend, because <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, we're just going to have a great conversation talking about two movies we really, really like. <laughs> eh, you know, you want disagreement, though. I well, let me let, let's get back to where where we uh, were kind of going, yeah. which was you know Jerry ripping up the gas line, blowing up the Brewster house, sending right. uh, Mrs. Brewster, Amy, and Charlie on the run in a, in a minivan, and again this leads to one of my favorites in the movie, it was, it, which is on the the dark road in the desert. Yeah. First, you know, first uh, Charlie chucks, or, um, sorry, Jerry chucks the motorcycle into the back of the window. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> I thought I thought it was terrible. <laughs> like. If it wasn't for the sound effect of, of, of the chain on, on on the moped or whatever go on, on the motorcycle going, like it just I was like, what is that? Like the the animation on it was so bad. Well so what and, I like uh, what I like about it is that at this point Amy and Mrs. Brewster still think they're dealing with just a crazy dude. Um not some kind of supernatural being. Right. Despite all of Charlie's urgings at this point, they're like, this guy is not fucking normal. And this now he checks a motorcycle in the back of the window, and they still don't quite believe. And it, it isn't until he tracks, he chases them down in his truck on the on the road, which again I think I think it's a fun scene, like this whole darkened highway um, encounter. Sure. You know, he gets in front of them. Charlie steps on the gas. They run him over. Mrs. Brucia thinks they just killed a guy, but a crazy guy, so she's not feeling that bad about it. Then he's tearing through the car. Yeah, and the the and I, I I forget Charlie's exact line. He's like he's like that is not a normal hand, see mom or something like that. I I think it plays well. I, I, I uh, this scene I I think this scene is like where I really and and just like this like the compositing in that scene of like everything happening outside the windows. I'm like like it just looks so bad to me that I can't. I can't focus on what's actually happening or any sort of enjoyment. I don't think a line, see mom, see that creepy vampire hand after you run over a man and he's then punching through the floor of your car. I don't think that line is necessary. I think she gets it at this point. I'm not um, sure she does. <laughs> she seems know? really resistant to, the, to, to the, what is occurring around her. Uh, but this is when the you know uh, Jerry stops the car they get out of the vehicle. They're, you know, it's time for a confrontation. Almost, yes. because this is when we get our Chris Sarandon cameo. We do. Chris Sarandon barreling down the road, as one does in their fancy uh, Mercedes uh, in, in Vegas. You know, you go about 2,000 miles an hour because nobody's on the road, right? And then you just, yeah. you just crash into a car that's parked there. <laughs> yeah. And and he's get, probably drinking. Yeah, I always, I that was always my 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 thought as well. He's like, this guy's clearly drunk, right? But yeah, we find out it's, it's Chris Sarandon himself, the original Jerry Dandridge, who gets out of the car, uh, and then is feasted upon by Colin Farrell. Yes, um, I actually I, I didn't realize it was Chris Sarandon at first. It wasn't until I looked in the credits and saw that Chris Sarandon was in it, and I was like. Oh, he was the guy on the road, wasn't he? And I went back and I checked, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's him." I haven't seen him in so long. I haven't seen him as like older Chris Sarandon. That I was like, "Oh wow, that that's him. That's great." And and I'm I'm you know I'm glad they gave him I'm glad they gave him the cameo, and and it was more than just a you know like a guy in the background 
somewhere. They they gave him something to do. They let the new Jerry kind of a passing of the torch to let the new Jerry kill the old Jerry. I enjoyed that. Uh, you know, I didn't. I meant to double check, but I I never got around to it. But did did the original uh, Charlie cameo in this at all? I don't think he did. I don't think there's. I think Chris Sarandon's the only cameo. I think so too. I think you're right about that. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, Roddy McDowell had been had passed away. I think several years before this had come out. Yes. Yeah. And you know the thing is, like, I'm not even sure how much Tom Holland had to do with the story because he gets he gets a story credit and he gets the based on the film Fright Night by Tom Holland credit. Right. So I don't know if he like penned an outline. Oh, I then... don't. I don't think he did at all. But I mean, some of the of these beats are directly from his flick. Right. I'm just wondering if he had any kind of input. And it, it, you and I talked about this. But there's, there's not that much information about about this remake. No, there isn't. I was I was a little surprised. I, I thought we'd be, we'd be able to dig up some more uh, tidbits on, on, on some kind of fun facts about it. But there there's not much there. Yeah, there, there, there's more about the original than, than than there is about this. I mean, and it's, it's a lean script, too. I mean, I, I watched the deleted scenes, and there's not like huge chunks of, of, of plot that we're missing by any means. It's mostly just expanded on scenes. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, you know, it's kind of, a, like I said, a, a lean script is probably the best way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, but at the, uh, I guess just to kind of get it, get us moving along. Uh, I, I love the, the, I love the exchange here. This is where Charlie kind of tries to step up. He breaks the, he brings the cross out against, against just Jerry. This Jerry has an effect on it, but he's, powerful enough that he's able to squash the cross <laughs> yeah kind of like kind of like anton or charlie has like he's got a little bit of faith but he's a little too unsure of himself so colin farrell's able to kind of bypass it and just set the cross on fire and right yeah but you know it looks like jerry or, i'm sorry it looks like jerry's about to kill charlie uh, but this is when Mrs. Brewster steps up, and now we did not talk about Mrs. Brewster as a real estate agent in this house. Oh, so she no. has her for sale signs in the back of that minivan, and yes, you know, she does. You know, do you know how to put those for sale signs in the ground, Mark? How you use a stake. Mm. So she stakes Jerry through the back of it, through the back, out his chest with a for sale sign. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which I liked. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> No, it was good. They 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 set it up earlier. They show her uh, putting the sharp pointed stakes into the back of the van at the beginning of the film. So so like they set it up, and then uh, Colin Farrell's reaction is great. Kind of a good. I don't know if they they probably use CG because it seemed like they use CG yeah. for so much in this yeah. movie, they, they, where they just kind of have him twisting and contorting around in in the desert, and it gives them gives them a chance to to escape. I thought this movie was a fairly decent mix of of, of practical and, and CGI. I uh, see that it was one of my issues. I felt like it was way too heavy on the CGI. I think in in some elements it was. I, I, I again, I, I tend to always lean on the side of there being too much CGI, but I like the fact that there was some practical in this. Yeah, I, I mean, there certainly was a little bit. It, it just it just seemed a little too too CGI to me. Again, I, I I'm more of a fifty fifty person. This movie was probably thirty seventy. <laughs> okay. Um, but this this is basically how how our heroes get are able to get away, uh, because uh, uh, Jerry has to get deal with this stake in him. Oh, and they, by the way, they also set this up further too, because uh, there's a scene 
initially where Jerry is telling Charlie about staking somebody through the heart and where he has to go. Yes. And and so, again, another, another bit of foreshadowing that they had done a little bit earlier to kind of set all this up. Uh, but they are able to escape, and then as they're driving Chris Sarandon's car, <laughs> they hit yes. the minivan, they flip the minivan over on top of Jerry. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, but so, the, but this is also this part of the movie. This part of the of the film also marks the exit of Tony Collette, who I thought was really good as Charlie's mom. I think Tony Tony Collette's a great actress or actor. I I don't think you can say actress anymore. I think just say actor. Um, I think it depends on the person. Well, right? regardless, she's great in a, in a, a million different things, but a small part in this. But I thought she was really strong in it, and she does. I think she uh, is is a better Charlie's mom than. The other Charlie's mom. <laughs> um, I think in terms of a more fleshed out character, I think you're right. Um, that said, I actually quite enjoyed Charlie's mom in the original. She serves, I think, as a, a, a good bit of, of comic relief. Um, she does, but she also let Jerry in the house. <laughs> she lets Jerry, yeah, but you know, she's doing the neighborly thing. She's a single lady, and she's uh, yeah, all the single ladies. She she likes she likes the new neighbor. Um, <laughs> well, that fucking scarf, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I'm I, look. I'm I'm not the biggest Tony Collette fan. I feel like she was in this just the right amount for me. <laughs> okay, so, fair enough. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> Did you like her in Knives Out? God no. <laughs> Did you like Knives Out? I didn't like anything in Knives Out. <laughs> It's a that, terrible movie. Oh, Don't watch it. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even like Chris Evans' uh, cardigan sweaters. Come on, man. Suck it, Ryan Johnson. Boom. All right. I know. I know one person who agrees with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, back to this movie. So we're we're down a character. It's time to get Peter Vincent involved. They go back to get Peter Vincent. Peter Vincent's more. Well, Peter part. Vincent calls them because he he finally he looks, at, looks the at the papers yes. that Charlie left and he sees that emblem and he realizes, oh my god, this is the same vampire tribe that killed my family, blah blah blah. So as Tony Collette is in the hospital, uh, Peter Vincent gives Charlie a call and that sends Charlie and Amy to Peter Vincent's place in Las Vegas. Which leads to a big confrontation between not only Jerry but a turned Ed. Yes, we get the return, the, the, the real evil Ed. The real evil Ed, the real evil McLovin, whatever you want to call him. Yes. He shows up, uh, he gets an arm chopped off fairly quickly. <laughs> yes, he's a bad vampire. He's, a, he's not a good vampire. Still talking I a mean, lot just of shit. like the original. Yeah, so. still talking a lot of shit, though, about Amy, which is not nice. Um, I like this scene uh, because you're kind of going through... Uh, 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 Peter Vincent's sort of like relic quarry that he's assembled. Like you, you see it earlier in the film that he has like all these uh, artifacts and and things yes. like that. And uh, this is when they kind of come into play. There's like, you know, a, a gun with silver bullets, and there's there's axes, and there there's all kinds of uh, goblets of holy water and, and things like this. And I I think it's a fun scene. What did you think overall? Um. Overall, it's a bit underwhelming, but I did enjoy certain aspects of it. You know, the the room full of artifacts was was fun. I thought it was very convenient that that goblet had some holy water in it. Yeah, <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about, like surely. Really? 
Well, why not? I mean, I, I guess, sure, maybe you're going to keep it I don't know, you're, you're, a, you're a rich uh, a millionaire, uh, uh, you know, magician illusionist in Las Vegas. You're a tad eccentric. You keep holy water around. I don't know. But it was also uh, Amy. So the scene, the scene being that she shoots Colin Farrell with silver bullets. Silver bullets says werewolves. She grabs a goblet full of holy water, but she doesn't look in it. She doesn't know it's got holy water in it. And she's already just like vampires and throws it in his face. I'm like, he didn't even check. That could have been empty. <laughs> I don't know. It does cut to Colin Farrell as he's digging the bullet out. Maybe maybe she did. I mean, you're grabbing a goblet. Maybe you, you, I, was, I suspect you probably perceive some liquid in the cup at, at some point. Maybe. Maybe. I'm going to give Amy the benefit of the doubt, goddammit. You're so mean to her. I don't know why. I'm not, I don't like this iteration of her. <laughs> um, <laughs> another thing I didn't like was, I was, you know, Fright Night, including this one, seems to be uh, kind of relying on more traditional lore. Well, in traditional lore, vampires don't like silver. So why didn't Jerry have a reaction to the silver? It's not that it kills them, but it does do, they don't like it. They don't like it. Uh, well, um, oh fuck! Uh, I was gonna reference something, but now I I, I lost it. Oh well. Um, no, moving on. I think they just thought it was a funny joke. I'll be honest. Yeah. I think that was a, like oh, this is a funny line. Sure. Let's put this sure. in there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I think that was their thinking. Uh, but Ed Ed gets uh, dispatched at this point, right? I uh, with, yes. with Amy's help. Once once she's able to distract Jerry with the holy water to the face. Uh, she's able to uh, rescue Charlie from Ed and, and help him dispatch Ed permanently. Uh, and this also this would lead, then lead into our 2011 version of the club scene. Yes. And again, this this kind of this scene kind of feeds back into what I was was alluding to earlier with like the Jerry as a as a sexual predator, not just a uh, killing machine feeding on you predator. Uh, you know, not just the apex predator, or top of the food chain kind of situation. Uh, the, and I think if you watch this scene, it. You'll either agree with me or you'll or you won't. I I don't know, I don't know how much else to say. I th- I think it's uh, you know, it's Colin Farrell's smoldering sexiness, and his uh, vampire powers, uh, again, forcing kind of more or less forcing himself onto onto Amy. And I think again, I that's something I like about this movie. You you don't seem to agree with me on that, but that's okay. Well, it's like I said. You know, you can certainly interpret it that way, but I I just interpret it. I interpret the motivations of Jerry at that point as like he's not he, he's not trying to get her into bed. He's not trying to do any of these things. He's just like he's just trying to lure Charlie back to his place so that he can kill him. Well, no, no, but I'm you saying, know what I mean? yes, within the within the movie, yes, that's exactly what it is. But I'm saying for an audience that lives in the real world, I think this it it, it has a, a a deeper meaning if you if you want it to. But I guess, I guess that's what I was saying is like I feel like like yeah I think 2020 audiences can look back at it, at the original and interpret the same meaning from from that scene. Nope, you know? Chris Randon is just too sexy. He's irresistible. He's he's too sexy that he 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 rises above sexual predation. <laughs> <laughs> like he's so hot that it doesn't matter. I'm going to quote you on that. Great. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very tongue-in-cheek joke. Relax, everybody. Um, but yes, you're right. Okay, in the context of the movie, it's, this is all just to get everybody back to the house. 
Yes. So Peter Vincent's involved. Peter Vincent lost his, uh, his, uh, his, I don't know, his girlfriend. Who <laughs> they have a very odd relationship to begin with, but we haven't talked about that much. Definitely his girlfriend. They 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 hated each other. They loved each other. Whatever. It was complicated. It was meant for comedy, and then she died. And then she died. But uh, this is where we get the. This is where we enter Fright Night. Yes, for we're real. Back, we're back in Jerry's house for real. This is where we get the exposition. We get the revelation that Peter was the boy that uh, Jerry killed his mother. There's the there's the joke that uh, uh, Peter has his mother's eyes, but his father's aim. Right. Which I thought was pretty funny. Can't hit shit. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Honestly, I liked it. Yeah, no, it was it was a good joke. Yeah. I I like the third act in this movie. What what did you think? I mean, there's there's some similar beats to the third one, but the, there's the big the, the big sort of I don't know if it's a revelation, but this all these missing people that they sort of alluded to in in a very uh, uh passive way early in the fi- flick. Turns out they're all in Jerry's basement, and they're all been turned. Right. Um, I didn't like this third act. Okay. Um, because I think, like, when you go back to the original, you can tell they they saved a lot of material for the third act. Um, and here, it just kind of feels like nothing. Like you're not seeing anything new. Um, it's it's just vampires coming out of out of the walls and 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 one of the things that that i wish they could have done was like i wish we had recognized some of those vampires the only one that we do recognize is is the dave franco one yeah but but like if we had recognized them as some of the neighbors that went missing but like even if they were some of the neighbors that that went missing it's like we saw them so briefly that we didn't even notice at at the climax um so I, I don't know. It, it, it just it just kind of falls it, it falls flat for me. And we get more dialogue from Colin Farrell about smelling fear and fears smell is intoxicating and blah 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 blah. He's he's gone through the same speech like three or four times now, and it's just like shut up. I did fast forward a little bit because uh, also like, <laughs> like, like 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 in the eighty five there is. Um... You know, uh, uh, Jerry does lock Charlie in a room with a turned Amy. Yes, uh, but I yeah. don't think it's as powerful as a scene as the eighty-five. It's much more brief. Yeah. Um And and uh, Peter's able. Peter Vincent's able to liberate Charlie uh, after he's lightly stabbed <laughs> Amy with a with a with a stake. Yeah. Um, but apparently Charlie has a plan, and it was it was sort of a plan that he borrowed from. From Peter Vincent, who made a reference to a vampire on fire is not thinking clearly, and we Correct. we did skip the scene too, where Charlie kind of like goes to like the local armament store, gun store, and just stocks up on everything. To the the army surplus store. Yeah, the army surplus. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. And he yeah. he stocks up on weapons and stuff like that, and he tells the guy he's gonna go kill a vampire, and the guy's like, sure, okay. Because that's how all right wing uh, Republican gun sellers think. They're like, sure. Wow, stereotyping people. You just assume that guy's a Republican. I didn't stereotype him. I think the movie stereotyped him. <laughs> I mean, there there wasn't like there there wasn't a Chiron on the screen putting the guy's name with an R next to it. <laughs> oh, actually, on my version there was. Oh, okay, my bad. My version's from CNN. <laughs> you got the director's cut, the CNN director's. I got cut. the I got the Don Lemon cut. <laughs> yeah. <well. laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, 
yeah, so Charlie's all armed up, and we see him in a, a strange, crazy suit. And we're like, what's that suit all about? But it's because Charlie has a plan. And actually, I'm going to mention it now uh, because it's it was kind of funny. I was I, I, I hadn't watched the, the deleted scenes on my, my Blu-ray of this in, in quite a while, so I, I had kind of forgotten about the scene. But when, when, when Peter Vincent first shows up at Jerry's house to help Charlie, he mentions that Charlie... Uh, there's a, a back and forth between them. Charlie notices that, uh, that uh, Peter stinks. He's like, Jesus, you smell like, you know, alcohol. And he's like... Some kind of alcohol, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the next line from, from Peter Vincent is like, he's like, well, that's not as bad as you. You smell like kerosene, which totally blows the end of the movie. Yeah. So I'm glad they cut that scene out <laughs> because that's Charlie's plan is to light himself on fire and to... No, that's that's not cut out. I thought they cut it out. Some iteration of that was in the cut I watched. I had to rent it on... Uh on prime because I, I, I don't own it and it's not streaming for free. So I had to rent it. And yeah, that, that scene is, in, there's a line about kerosene. Huh? I wonder if the Amazon version is different than the theatrical cut that I have at home. I don't know. Well, that, that is intriguing. <laughs> well, uh, then uh, depending on which version people are watching, I either have a outdated version <laughs> I mean, look, I, I, I think most people are kind of smart enough to know, though. I, th- I think audiences are smart enough to know that there, there's the line about uh, a vampire on fire. It's not a vampire thinking clearly. And I think enough audiences know, like, OK, he's wearing some kind of suit. We know where this is going. Right. So let's, you know? let's just fast forward. This is Charlie's plan is to light himself on fire and to strap himself to Jerry. Did you like it or not? No. <laughs> OK. okay like you know what you're absolutely right a vampire or anyone on fire is not thinking clearly but jerry he had anton yelchin in his fucking hands and he could have just ripped him to shreds it's a bad plan what are you doing i think like you're you're literally going to hand yourself over to this vampire who has gorilla like strength like no yeah as, as far as the idea of this being a plan, it's not a great one. No. I, I think in, in, in reality, like, this would be, like, like plan Z. As yes. far as plans go, like, this this is, like, your Hail Mary, nothing else has worked right. This is, like, a total desperation play. But you're not wrong. I mean, like, Jerry just could have knocked his head off of his shoulders with a swipe of his, you know, arm. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I guess in fairness, they did try to kill him in other ways. They yeah. just failed miserably. No, so then they were working know. with some sunlight stuff. They, you know, they were incorporating elements of of Jerry's demise from the '85 movie, which I appreciated and respected them them going with that. I'd yeah. uh, say what you want. I mean, obviously, you have some you have a stronger disagreements than I do about the way this movie kind of plays out, and my just kind of, I kind of enjoy this movie. Uh, because it's a little simple <laughs> in some elements. Sure. Yeah. Like I said, there's there's some context you can get into if you kind of want to want to want to dive deeper into into some of the some of the performances. Like I said, I think I think Jerry's performance has got some layers to it if you want to get into them. Um, but I, I I one of my favorite parts about this movie is that it, it it pays so much loving tribute to the original. Like there's so many callbacks to the OG to to what came before, and it, it treats the the source material so respectfully. 
Which again is something I don't think a lot of movies when when a lot of remakes do all that often. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm I can certainly agree with that. I I don't like you know I don't like this film. I I didn't think it was the worst thing though. You yeah, know? that's that's good. I, I I do like it. I still like it. Like I said, I mean, there are some plot issues. You know, there's some some plot elements that are a little half baked and some that are a little underdeveloped, and some that are a little thin. But as far yeah. as like just like kind of like sheer enjoyment, just like I can pop this on and have a nice night while I drink a couple of beers and and eat some chips or whatever. Like it, this movie works exceedingly well, especially as far as a remake goes. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but the the we don't we don't generally do ratings here on the Tomcast podcast. But I guess if if I were to ask on a scale of one to ten, where would you put each of these movies? Ten being the highest. Ten being the highest. 10 being the highest, I would give the original Fright Night a 9. And I would probably give this one either a high 5 or a low 6. Interesting. Okay. Because I was thinking I would give the original Fright Night, I was I was torn between a 9 or a 9.5. If, I, if, I, okay. you know, if, I'm, if I'm allowed to split. Because I, I do love that. For that want, I do yeah. love that OG. Uh, but I was going to give the remake like an 8. Okay. Now, listen, you, you might have persuaded me a little bit to knock it down to like a 7.5. Seven, seven <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I still like this movie, and I think there's a lot going on here. And I do like, I, again, I'm kind of, not, I don't know if fascinated is the right word, but I sort of enjoy like this just like this different creep of a Jerry that lives next door to you. Like It's like, oh, this would be the kind of fucking neighbor I have living next to me who's just like, is like oogling little girls and you know, doing stuff like that. Like to me, this Jerry's much more uh, out there than the Jerry and his sweet scarf in 1985. A, a much more uh, kind of sign of the times, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, this this would be my fucking neighbor, the guy who has strippers come over and is trying to get beer off me. <laughs> this fucking guy. <laughs> no, no thanks. Sounds, sounds like a decent neighbor. No, no thanks. <laughs> You get, you, no, no. Nobody who has parties, nobody who has strippers over, nobody who's asking me for beers. No. He's not have, He's not having parties. He's just having strippers. Th- this Jerry's not having parties, but I'm just saying in general. I don't want a neighbor who has parties either. I want the most socially awkward person ever to be my neighbor. That's oh who boy. That's who I want my neighbor that's, to be. That's the last person I want to be my neighbor. Just someone who's quiet and keeps to themselves, and then in 10 years I find out they killed 84 people. That's Wonderful. who my neighbor is going to be. <laughs> but they were so quiet. And then realize he did nothing about it. <laughs> but I'm the guy on the news who's like, he kept to himself. He was so polite. Yeah, and everyone wonders, what the fuck was wrong with you? <laughs> How did you not see this? Hey, man, I got dogs to worry about, okay? <laughs> yeah. Well, listen. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. No, give, I'm, give what you got. I'm just going to say about, about, about the remake. Like, it's it has its fans and you know like that's fine I, I I see what they what they enjoy about it like I said when I saw it in the theaters I I enjoyed it. it it was I was very surprised watching it this time around that I was not as into it and maybe that's because I watched it so close to watching the original okay um, but. Yeah, it, it it just didn't work for me. It was it was too much um, too much CG. Like I I can't stand um, CG blood, especially in a horror film. 
Like that's not what horror films, horror fans want. You know, they 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 want something real that's there that that you know the 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 actors are 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 interacting with, um, and. I also just I didn't like the look of this movie. The kind of drab, uh, undersaturated tone of it just it just didn't work for me. Um, and trying to think, trying to think, I'm sure there's there's something else, but it's not coming to me at the moment. Yeah, fair. Hey, listen, fair enough. I, I I I'm not gonna, you know, your opinion is your opinion, and I got no problem with it. I mean, we we embrace all opinions on the Tomcast podcast. Uh, but I, you know, I, as I mentioned in my intro, like you're kind of like my guy for like knowing more about how a movie should be shot and like the 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 aesthetics of how it should look in when, in, in its presentation than I would be. I just I you know I'm just kind of like the guys like oh, I know what I like when I like when I see what I like, you know. But you you're kind of like the guy who knows how all that, all that's com- composed and done. So I, okay, I, that... I like hearing that from you. Well, that actually reminds me that that's that's what I was going to say. I had forgotten that this movie was also released in 3D. So you what? got all of these dumb shots of things flying at the camera and usually CG things flying at the camera. And I was just like, oh, we're like, we're doing this. I fucking forgot about that. Oh, my God. That was part of like that that wave of 3D bullshit we had to deal with for a while. Yeah, after after uh, after Avatar. Avatar. Yeah, fuck yeah. you, Avatar. Yeah, exactly. Oh God. <laughs> so so that was the thing. I was like, oh yeah, I'd forgotten about this. <laughs> Shit, I had forgotten about that too. Well, God damn I, it. it. And I think at the time when I saw it in theaters, I just kind of wrote it off as like, well, this is what they're doing now, so whatever. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold it against them. But now that we're we're out of that period of time, it's like. It really dates the film. I feel like. Yeah, you, you're probably right about that. I didn't. I, that's an element I didn't uh, pay much attention to when I was, when I, you know, on my most current rewatch uh, a couple days ago. And yeah. I, I don't think I ever thought about it. I just was like, oh, that's. Just, I just thought that was a weird, you know, directorial choice. But the, you saying that, it was like, oh yeah, it's because they wanted to have the audience like think someone was going to hit him in the face. <laughs> Well, no, it's because they wanted the audience to spend seven more dollars <laughs> for their film ticket. All right, so we were interrupted there. But Mark, uh, any any final thoughts before we, we close out tonight? Before we bring it into a fright night, for real. Hey, watch both. That's it. I, I think I think the first one is a legitimately great movie. Uh, I I highly recommend it. I think the second one. Like I said, it has its fans, and I can see why people enjoy it. And at one point in time, I did enjoy it too. And so you might enjoy it as well. So if you haven't seen it, go ahead and check it out. Uh, you know, Anton Yelchin is great. Colin Farrell is great. So you know, go for it. I second that opinion. Uh, the the first one's a classic. It's it's a great watch. You'll have a fun time with it. It's if your kids aren't too young, you probably even let your let some of your I would say early teen children watch this. I don't know. You make a judgment call, but it's not—it's not gonna freak them out. I don't think. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't nah. say that. Maybe I shouldn't nah. say that. I think the Colin nah. Farrell one's a lot scarier. They—they they amp up the horror in the remake. Yes. But it's—it's it's still lighthearted enough that you can have a good time and not worry about nightmares watching Colin Farrell, unless you're uh, just scared about sexual predators. <laughs> I, you know, I. 
I would say you could show the original to a younger audience uh, for the Colin Farrell one. Like, yeah, maybe a little bit older. Yeah, I agree. But uh, both are, I think both, again, the OG's a classic, definitely worth your time. I like the remake more than Mark, but still, uh, if you got, you know, 90 minutes and you're looking for something fun to do leading into Halloween, there's worse ways to spend your time. Yeah. All right, man. Mark, thank you so much for joining me for this. It's been a lot of fun. I, we, we talked about these movies a lot longer than I thought we would. Uh, but there, there's a lot to kind of get into. There's there's a lot to pick apart in, in, in both versions. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you joined me. Uh, uh, I'll possibly be having you on again before Halloween's out. But we'll be talking in the future. Don't worry. Cool, Leo. <laughs> Thanks again, man. I hope you have a great day. And enjoy your Halloween. Thank you, you too. All right, later, buddy. Later. Back, spawn of Satan. <laughs> oh, really? to work on me, Mr. Vincent. Hi, welcome back to the TomCast podcast. I hope you guys and gals and ghouls and goblins out there enjoyed this Fright Night double feature. This was a lot of fun, I thought. I I had a really good time talking to my dear sweet brother Mark about these two movies. Um, These are, again, these are movies I, I... it's October, it's Halloween, but, you know, horror movies are not limited to one month a year. It's just a fun time to kind of examine them a little bit more closely. Uh, and Fright Night is is a hoot. It's it's a real blast. It's a real treat. Like, yeah, the gore and, and, and stuff is, is you know, there's it's not ramped up. No one's getting uh, disemboweled in these movies, but they are a lot of fun. I, I still find the remake to be quite enjoyable, but the, but the classic is kind of where it's at for me. Maybe... That's because I'm a little biased as a child of the '80s, but uh, you know G- Colin Farrell's performance as as his sort of a oh you know overtly sexualized uh, a- again like I said I, t- I took his performance a little bit multifaceted like it it, it reads to a to a, to the people not in the know about the vampire him being a vampire he totally reads as like a sexual predator like as like a total creep and womanizer and 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 probably a bit of a misogynist too but again i digress let me know if i'm wrong am i wrong let me know i'm 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 here to be rebuked rebuke me rebuke me i dare ya anyways if, if these are movies you haven't had a chance to, to check out in a little while like like we mentioned on, on the show uh the, the original fright night the 1985 fright night uh with with the great chris sarandon with roddy mcdowell another uh, just, uh, uh, legend of our time uh Check it out. It's on Amazon Prime right now. You can watch it for free if you are already a Prime member. It's included right now. Check it out. And yeah, you might have to do a little bit more work to find the uh, to find the, the the update with Colin Farrell and Anton Yelchin. But I think it's worth your time, or is is you know worth the three or four bucks it is to rent for twenty four to forty eight hours, whatever that is. And that way you can kind of compare and contrast the two, and then hit me up on those social medias and tell me that I'm a doofus because the Colin Farrell one's way better. We are at. Tomcast Popcast on Twitter and Instagram. I'd love to hear more of your feedback. You can also email me. Email your 
email me your vindictive diatribes at tomcastpopcast at gmail.com. I would love that. I want to thank my current Patreons, but before I do that, let me tell you let me tell you how to join Pophead Nation and become a Patreon for this podcast. Help us keep the lights on. Help us keep our podcasting quality improving and going up, 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 up. You can do so at patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast. That's where you can sign up, become an official member of Pophead Nation. You're going to get access to all kinds of great bonus content, video features, audio commentary tracks, all kinds of good stuff coming your way if you're a member of Pophead Nation as a little incentive, as a little bonus for helping support this show financially. I appreciate it. So thank you to my current... Uh, thank you, excuse me. Thank you to my current Patreons. Thank you to the Aspen Hill Chody, the Batman of Apoc, Jeff Nail, co-host of The Ringing Ear, a great music podcast for all you music heads out there. Thank you to Evil Circle, the evilest of circles. I'm sure he's in an evil circle right now for Halloween doing all sorts of evil things within the circle. Thank you to the Squidmaster General, Brian Broussard, and our co-host today, the, the New Jersey Devil himself, Mark Wegemer. Thank you for being all thank you all for being Patreons. New bonus content coming your coming your way extremely soon. If not before this episode drops, then shortly after it, because it's locked and loaded, ready to go. Bonus content fresh from the source. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. This has been a long podcast. If you were if you were uh, smart, you, you 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 paused it after we did the OG episode, and then you listened to the next one uh, when you had more time. So it's a little long today. I apologize about that. I, that was not the intention, but hey, there there was a lot to get into. I hope everyone's uh, doing the doing the right things, staying safe. Uh, the pandemic rages on. The election rages forward. So much going on in the world, but I hope everyone's taking time to stay safe and 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 take care of those close to you, your friends and family, and 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 you know just keep doing the right things. I, I I know we're all sick of it. I'm I'm sick of going out with a mask. I'm sick of walking my dogs with a mask. I'm sick of going to work with a mask. But we do these things to keep each other safe, and and that is of the utmost importance right now. So please keep doing it. I know it's an inconvenience. I know it's not how we want to live our lives. Uh, trust me, I want to be at all the bars and all the breweries right now, but. Uh, we got to do what we got to do. Stay safe. Keep each other safe. And, and, and try to be kind to each other. It, as, as we roll into the holidays, it's going to get stressful out there. And, and please take the time to, to remember that the other people around you are just as stressed out as you are. So, so let's continue being kind to one another. I, I know I'm, I'm, you know all of us in Papa Nation are the cream of the crop. We rise to the top. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, we don't have to worry about anything. But you know, help others to remember that as well. And with that being said, we close out the show the same way we close out every episode of the show. Ciao, babes. We're not going to be fucking sunk this year! We're the Stanley Cup champ!